Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on February the 21st, 2017. I'm Nick here alongside Chris, and uh, we're going to talk about manga today. I believe so, but uh, Nick, isn't isn't uh, February the 21st, 2017, isn't that a Tuesday? It is a Tuesday. We had, we made a change. Get used to it. Ooh. Oh, this is this is uh, taking the, the reins, Nick. This is no shit being taken. This is Lincoln pa- or Limp Biscuit. My way or the highway, Nick. And I it's don't gonna, like that song. No, that song's great. You shut the fuck up. That's the theme song to WrestleMania 17. <laughs> Look, that song is part of maybe the greatest video package WWE ever put that together. Is one of the best video, pack- video packages ever. And what? I, I need this rock more than you can possibly imagine. It was foreshadowing. You didn't even see it. I mean, they probably did. It was literally the first wrestling event I had watched, so I didn't know any of the storylines going into <laughs> it. But I will note that it was still hot shit, and I used to listen to that song all the time. I used to wake up to that song, Nick. That's how good I loved uh, My Way by Linkin Park. Linkin nope. Bliss Biscuit. One of the L bands from the <laughs> late 90s, was, early 2000s that weren't very Lim- good. <laughs> it was Limp Biscuit. I listened to Linkin Park. Which uh, was not especially good, but I'm not nearly as ashamed to admit I listened to Linkin Park as I would if I were have to have listened to Limp Biscuit. So, Which thankfully, you have no shame when it comes to your musical taste at no, all. None whatsoever. <laughs> I recently just downloaded some U2 onto my iPod. Don't even care. Oh, it's God. a great song. You want to know why? It's Clocks by U2, which I don't even really love as a U2 song, but it was part of ESPN Sports Center's Images of the Decade. And that was a great fucking video package. 90% of my iPod is just songs that were used in oh, really wow, good video that. packages. <laughs> and I don't I have they did, That thing they, they did when Dusty Rose died, have that one. <laughs> Gets in there, too. Tell me a lie. It's a great video package. Look, I hate the song, but it's a great package. <laughs> uh, no. Hurt uh, by Johnny. Hurt by, hurt by Johnny Cash. Well, I mean, come on. That, that's... <laughs> That, that that that's not that's not just because of that video package. No, I don't have uh, hurt by Johnny Cash because there is no time in my life where I just want that tonk song to spontaneously come on. If I'm in a mood to listen to it, I'm in a mood to listen to it. But otherwise, if that song comes on, my day's done because it's just like, oh god, we're all gonna die one day. I'm just gonna sit in the corner and hold myself. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here and cry because of Johnny Cash and then Eddie Guerrero and yeah, then just sure. myself and then it's just a train of things where I'm just like, oh god, think of all the NFL people who were drafted the same year I was that same age and they're so much more successful and a couple of them are probably dead. But oh. Anyway, I also saw- whenever I think whenever I, think, whenever I try I started to get on that track, I just remembered that I went to the same school as Aaron Hernandez while he was going to school. Hmm. Yeah. See, we I I used to have the claim for growing like going to the same school as the douchier NFL player because I went to school you don't with get, Saw McCoy. You don't then, get any douchier than Aaron Hernandez. Then you went to school with a murderer, so you taught me. My guy a was just Ruto, a priest, a multiple time murderer. So <laughs> and like kingpin style murder too. It was only like he killed people. He was just the, the conspiracy the, to commit murder. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's some that's some ball ass shit right there. I saw La La Land recently, Nick, mm-hmm. and uh, I just want to note that is the longest fucking movie that was ever made, and I believe <laughs> I believe scientists need to study that movie to try to figure out what time paradox occurs while you're watching it that causes it to say it's only two hours long, but it actually goes on for like six and a half hours-ish. Um, I feel like maybe if we could like harness that power, we could discover the secret to like eternal life or something like that, because... 
There's something fishy going on with that movie. You know, beyond the fact that it's really, really boring. That's my Oscar. Uh, That's my Oscar talk. <laughs> I started playing uh, Duel Links <gasps> after your recommendations. Uh, I'm at, what is it, like stage 19, I think? Wow, you're so, I mean, cruising. Well, I've been, I've been playing for a couple of weeks, and, I mean, most of the missions to advance in stages are not very difficult. Um, the thing about it is that... Um, do you ever get... Do they ever, like, introduce, like, better cards into the game? <laughs> Uh, I'm starting to get kind of sick of them saying like, "You drew a rare card." Oh, great! What did you What did you give me? Catseer tribe. Oh, fuck's sake! <laughs> it's um, there are good cards within the boxes. Like usually the super rare stuff and the there's ultra a rares. Of good ones occasionally. There, but, there's there's mm. some good ones in there. Well, the thing is that once you get the the ones you want out of a box, you need to reset the box. Otherwise, you'll just right. get all the rest of the crap right. that was in it. So. There is that, and then there are some good cards you get from, like, leveling up people well enough, but, uh, I, the challenge for me more so was, I'm so tired of dueling all these people in their really shitty decks, like, and I'm, I'm just referring to the computer AI, now I'm at the I'm point gonna, of, I'm gonna play my, th- my super thunderball card, and, um, oh, I'll put an attack mode, it's got some the attack, and I've got no way of boosting it, so I'll put an attack mode! My issue I'm doing. <laughs> is I've now reached the point where their decks aren't necessarily good. They're just fuck you annoying. Like it's one per like it's it's called flips for days or flips for reels. And uh, their deck is nothing but uh Hane Hanes, uh fucking black tail cats, four star ladybugs. It's just nothing but cards that just move my shit back into my hand or kill it. And I constantly, and they don't do anything. They don't ever attack you. They have, they have Yay, no. I destroyed your monster, and I'll follow up on this bug. <laughs> Nothing. Sending <laughs> a weak monster <laughs> by doing by saying another one of the same bullshit you just said. And it's like they know all I play right now are like beatdown style decks. So all I can do, I have no special summoning shit in my deck. It's just dropping this one guy this turn, hitting your shit, and then having it bounce back to my hand or killed for you to do nothing but set the same shit next turn. What are you delaying for? Or do you have a burn strategy? Or are you trying to summon Exodia? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I have no clue what I'm doing. But take that! Oh, I'm like, all these cards are minus ones, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and you have Skell Angel in your deck, so you're gonna deck out faster than I can. So you're, no, you're, there's no way you are not going to lose. But still you do this strategy. Go fuck yourself. Oh, God. I hate them. So, we have so, manga to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about manga. We don't have... We're not... By the way, this is not an indication that we're going to pick up Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> uh, we are working our way... Well, I'm working my way through all of Seven Deadly Sins. I don't know how... You're working your way through half of it, I guess. I, I'm going to start uh, from the beginning, essentially, again, and re, uh, read through it. So, we're essentially both reading through so, it. I just have a little bit more familiarity with it. So in the meantime, we do have just all of our regular weekly series to do. We've got three jump starts to cover this week, and we're going to have three jump starts for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, got a lot of manga to talk about. We're also, because we uh, had to move things to Tuesday this week, we might not end up having Fairy Tale, 
It depends on if they post the chapter while we're recording the episode. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Fair, Fairy Tale is usually the second like series we discuss right now, but as mm-hmm. it is now, if it's in this episode or not, I mean, you'll know by the timestamp if there's a Fairy Tale, but it, if it is yeah. in there, it's going to be at the very end, because as of right now, there's no chapter on there, and usually when they post something on Crunchyroll, they'll put like a countdown to when it goes live, and I don't see one of those yet, so oh, I have no well, clue. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. In any case, let's kick off the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap as we normally do with My Hero Academia. Chapter number 127, Sir Nidai, and Izuku Mort Midoriya, and Hiro Tagata, and All Might. <laughs> I wonder if there was a more elegant way to phrase that in Japan. Like, it's it's like, uh, oh, what, what's the, the line from uh, Modern Family where it's like, you should be the wind at my back instead of the spit in my face. And she's like, it sounds a lot better in Spanish. And they're like, oh, that does sound a lot better. Like, maybe in Japanese, you were just like, Toshiko, donere tosto. And they're like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. It would just, it would just be, Sanaitai to Midori Izuku to Midori Instead of hand. That would be, draw monster the cardo. Or maybe, the, or maybe it was like, Sir Naidai Tachi, which is the way he's saying, Sir Naidai and the other guys. <laughs> I do appreciate that it names those four, and they are the four that are listed in the character roster at the beginning of the chapter. They the are. Part. Although so, I, I feel like Junior should be in there somewhere now. He's not going to be It really guy. feels like Yuno isn't there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last time, Miro took Deku to see Sir Nidai, All Might's old sidekick, in an effort to end up uh, joining him as an apprentice. And uh, learning that Tsunade, despite being a very serious person, had a bizarre sense of humor and greatly values humor, uh, Deku tried to make him laugh by impersonating All Might, which Tsunade took the very wrong way of how dare you make fun of him. So, um, Deku is, of course, being intimidated by Tsunade, who's going, I was like, ah, I, so you thought you would make fun of him in order to make me laugh. And Deku is still making the All Might face, even though he's like, <laughs> um, and Sir Nidai apparently is not upset that he simply, um, impersonated All Might for this. It's that he did a bad job because he's like, All Might doesn't have this wrinkle right here. How dare you? I get, that is actually more amusing than him just being like, how dare it's you? It's way funny. He's just like, this wrinkle isn't supposed to be there. Like, you can't really control that when you're scrunching your face up. <laughs> but yeah, he says his crow speed were originally 0.6 centimeters and then grew to 0.8 centimeters during the Silver Age. Oh, God. Um, And Deku... Uh, while he's having his face twisted around, he glances around the room to see that there is all sorts of All Might merch around the wall, and he realizes that Sernada is just as much of a hardcore All Might fan as he is. So, uh, Sernada says, you must leave it once. This was a, a terrible impression. And Deku says, do you know the vinegar suicide incident? And he says, yes, there's a teenager with a quirk that could change the properties of water. And he was drowning in a river. All Might rescued him and saved the day. But while in a panic, the kid ended up turning the river's water into vinegar. When All Might dove in, he got an eyeful of it. During the interview immediately after, his eyes were all puckered up as he smiled. That was the face I chose to try him. What a bizarrely specific... (laughs) 
What an awful name for it, too. The Vinegar Suicide Incident. Nobody committed suicide. <laughs> they were like, you know, the... <laughs> he was drowning. Did he jump in to try to die? <laughs> They're like, eh, close enough. Kids will get it. <laughs> and tonight is like, oh, yes, how dare you question my knowledge of all my terrorism. Yes, I'm familiar with the incident. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad that Deku has someone who is just as much of a dork as he is to talk to. Um, so when, uh, and yeah, Deku is recapping the events of everything, but, uh, Sir Nighteye is, is right there with him. He recalls it just as perfectly as Deku does. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Deku says like, yeah, and All Might's witty line after the team apologized for everything. And so now it cuts him off. It is I who should thank you. My skin's looking ten years younger now. <laughs> oh, God. This is a fucking weird series sometimes. It is extremely odd. So, uh, Mirio sets Bubble Girl free from the Tickle Hell machine. Yeah, remember that. Um,. And uh, Mirio's like, ah, oh, yeah, the joke might have fallen flat, but still, maybe this will all end well. And uh, Sir Nida has calmed down a bit. He's sitting at his desk with his hand, doing a bit of a gendo pose. And so he has, has a bit of a talk with Deku off panel. It's like, ah, oh, so you want to have a work so course with me? And Deku's like, yes, please. He's got the work, work form ready. And uh, Sir Nida says, all right, once I stamp that form with my personal seal, then the contract is complete. <laughs> and he doesn't he misses, he misses the paper <laughs> and Deku's like um you, you miss because I had no intention of stamping <laughs> then why did you stamp anything <laughs> and so now he's like ah yeah see the merits for you working here are abundantly and clear. he's still doing he's <laughs> like as he's doing <laughs> miss 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 <laughs> <laughs> craning his neck forward super far <laughs> oh my god this guy is so weird but despite how freaking goofy he's acting after this bizarre exchange he does just make a very straightforward point which is you know what do I have to gain by hiring you for this I already have two sidekicks and one student oriented in my, agent, in my agency and everything goes smoothly here what could I possibly gain from offering you employment? Can you, how do you contribute to society? How does your presence benefit others? You have to demonstrate these things if you want your, uh, my approval. And, you know, All Might does this with his power and humor. He gave hope to those threatened by villainy, and that is why the people accepted him. So you must determine what benefit you will for my agency and show me through your actions, not words. And, uh, rather than being like, you know, so, go prove to me by doing some act of heresy. He's like, try and snatch this seal from you in the next three minutes and stab the form yourself. <laughs> okay. This is so strange. <laughs> and Deku is shocked by this and Sernaya is like, your sense of humor is appallingly bad. Nonetheless, I'm offering you a chance. I'm quite kind. <laughs> He's like, I'm a pretty good bro, am I not? <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so Mirio and Bubble Girl leave the room and, uh, they're having a little bit of a conversation as they walk out and leave Deku and Sir Nighteye to it. 
and uh the girl's like so did your interview include something like this and he was like oh no i was scared by him from the start it's like he liked you off the bat god fuck you <laughs> which i mean Mirio's clothes fall off all the time. You'd think that I think that he would have a much easier time making Sir Night I laugh, so there you go. I think it's more so she's just like, wait, so you don't get like weirdly sexually strapped to this machine and tickled nonstop? She's like, <laughs> No, that's never happened to me. She's like, This feels wrong. <laughs> I feel like I need to, does, does this place have an HR I can speak to? <laughs> I just thought everyone dealt with that, but it's weird. I'm the one female here and I have to deal with it. Okay, this is all right. First sidebar, really, of the episode. Um, my girlfriend and I uh, have started rewatching Justice League recently. Okay, I was and, really worried uh, for a moment you were going to be like, "So sometimes she straps me to this tickle." Sometimes, machine. <laughs> sometimes I tell her to get back in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I, I throw plates without sandwiches on them at my girlfriend until she gets the hint. <laughs> You're like, oh, we always thought that your relationship with Nicole was kind of cute and adorable when you talked about, but now, Jesus Christ, we gotta get her out of there. Like, we always thought you were much more progressive with your thoughts on gender roles. Instead, you you throw plates that specifically have post-it notes on, like, that say there should be a sandwich here. <laughs> like, I, I take great, uh, great... She walks into the room, you're like, are we out, are we out of bread? Or... There's a plate. Whenever there's an empty plate in front of me, I get my Sharpie out and I draw a bread-sized goal. <laughs> Sandwich goes here, please. <laughs> you mean to draw you a note? A diagram? Uh, anyway, it's an episode of Justice League where they get zapped into an alternate dimension, um, and, which basically uh, takes place... In the wholesome world of forty years ago, where oh, is that the is that the uh, Justice Society one? The Justice Guild of America. That is the best for how episode. But you know, everyone's acting super cheesy, and <laughs> occasionally flashes going like, "So are there just like two cops in this whole town?" <laughs> um, there's an ice cream truck driving around all, all the time. Uh, but there are two things that make the experience kind of uncomfortable. One is the fact that it's uh, it's primarily a Green Lantern episode, and so John Stewart, the Black Green Lantern, is basically the main focus out of the Justice League. And at one point, Streak, who is the Flash, uh, uh, it, it just is they're like running off to stop a supervillain, and he's like, "All right, you're, you're doing a good job, John. You're a <laughs> you're a credit to your comments. <laughs> you're a credit to your people." And John- and just, they're just going like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is that Hawkgirl is there, and Black Siren, uh, who is basically like Black Canary slash Catwoman. Um, it's like, she's just like, let's go into the kitchen and leave the men to talk about this. <laughs> let's go into the kitchen and make some sandwiches and cookies for all the men. She's just like, excuse me? And Hot Girl's like, what the fuck? I'm not making any goddamn food for you people. <laughs> I just, I love that line so much of like, you're a credit to your kind. You're a credit to your kind. <laughs> it's like, wow. I love that they didn't shy away from that part of it. That is the best. 
Yeah, the 50s weren't so great, were they? <laughs> and it's not even like, it's not specifically, it could be so much more overt, like have the fucking a sports master be like, somebody get that moolie out of here, or something like that, where you're like, oh my god, that's that's just awful. But it's the fact that another hero has he's like... Trying to be so, he's trying to be so sincere and nice about it, but he's so backwards, it's still an insult. <laughs> Alright, anyway. My hero. I think we're on page four of my hero. <laughs> Uh, the rest of the episode is is Deku trying to not episode but chapter is Deku trying to snatch this uh, stamp from Sir Nidai and being countered at every turn because Sir Nidai, his quirk is foresight. Uh, he can designate one person and by touching any part of the target and locking eyes with them, Nidai can see in advance every move the target will make for the next hour. So of course he was touching Deku's face earlier. He's touched him. He's locked eyes with him. So he's already made him his target. Um, so, uh, basically, what's Deku going to do? He can, Sernaya can tell literally everything that Deku's going to do within the next three minutes. How is he going to possibly be able to get it away from him? Uh, and uh, Sernaya is really, really, really starts being really harsh on Deku. Um, it just goes on. It's like, you're completely mediocre. Uh, and, uh, there's all these villains going around. We need, uh, we're, there is a shadow descending upon the coming era. And given that, I think that one for all should have gone to Mirio. Uh, you know, I've got great respect for all my, but geez, I really did not understand what he saw in you. There was a far more suitable candidate just waiting right in front of him. Uh, you kept, keep on getting into all this, all this trouble. Uh, and now even frickin' Mirio is, is introducing you to me. Uh, but I don't approve of you. So, I like, I'll never just, I'm not going to just let you do this yet. Just let you into my agency that easily. So, Deku looks kind of, uh, put off by this, obviously. It's like, oh, geez. But, um, he just decides, okay, alright, well, I've got to just overcome this. Uh, if he doesn't recognize all, all of what I've been through, then I can't take it lying down because All Might chose me, and he starts to dart around the room with his shoot style, just bouncing around everywhere like freaking speedball, and uh, says that he's going to take the seal. I will get your approval. Uh, a fun chapter uh, <laughs> with a really bizarre uh, but very funny be- uh, start to it um, that uh, it honestly kind of felt a, a little bit like tone backlash, uh, by the end of it, because all of a sudden, Sernaya just doesn't seem all that all that funny when he just goes like, "Jesus, you're really shitty, aren't you?" <laughs> well, it's kind of it's, it's it's an interesting sort of take on this character, in at least the sense that they gave him like this this side kind of uh, I don't want to say quirk because that's how powers are, but I have no other word, uh, you know, uh, tick, I guess that usually yeah. you don't give to like the intelligent, you know, glasses guy who's who's very much like I'm two steps ahead of you or whatever. Wherein he's like, oh yes, but I also like to laugh, and it's, it, it, it all plays into the superhero world. He's like, a hero should always be able to laugh to keep that joviality. It's very like a logical reason for it, as opposed to he actually seems to enjoy good humor almost. Um, so he, he doesn't laugh. I mean, yeah, he, 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 so. he just seems to like want it to be something that's there. But it, it is interesting in that he's kind of pushing. First and foremost, it's just that they've now addressed that Deku now knows that Mirio was meant to be the inheritor for All for One, which mm-hmm. 
or one for all, which uh, was kind of interesting. I thought this was going to be something that they'd hold on to a little bit longer, yeah. but uh, it kind of makes sense. This is probably going to come out in like the same volume, essentially, that Mirio is introduced in, or if not, like he probably comes at the end, and this is like towards the start of the next one. But uh, it's still kind of interesting that Deku now has to deal with that, because it is... You know, another thing that has to kind of sell them. I'm a little disappointed that it has to happen right now because I was kind of enjoying the idea that Deku finally has his shit together. And maybe he won't actually be weighed down very much by this. But I am hoping this doesn't become something of Deku being like, I was never really meant to be, you know, the one for all inheritor. It's, it, you know, it was supposed to be Mirio. And am I really good enough? I really hope it doesn't go that direction. Because I was finally like yeah. Deku finally being like, no, I'm going to be the greatest. Um, I think that the, I think that it's uh, his reaction where he... It gets to him for a little bit, but he just immediately is like, okay, well, I, I'm just going to have to take this with my own two hands. Uh, that seems to imply that that's just going to be his reaction to it. I don't think that he's going to uh, dote on this too much. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'll be interested to see how this changes, if anyway, but I'm sure it's going to be brought up his relationship with uh, Mirio then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because if, they, if, uh, uh, if he does get this... Uh, position, then he and uh, Miria are going to then be co-workers as, rel- as well as uh, Senpai and Kohai. So. Uh, Alright, well, uh, we are, of course, skipping over Fairy Tale for the time being, so let's move on to Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma. Last time the 3-on-3 three three, uh, team training challenge came to an end, and uh, we open up by just uh, getting a look at the completed dishes that have been prepared. Very, very, very different looking. Uh, and uh, it only um, even more when we get them in this big old color page. Uh, so, announces, because uh, he gets a fork and knife ready, he's like, ah, I will make a thorough examination of the merits of both dishes. Or rather, you guys will just just immediately puts the silverware back down, and uh, he says, "I want each team to taste and appraise the other team's dish, and that shall be the final stage of this first scrimmage." And then, of course, the kids are like, "Okay." Um. So, you know, Megami and and Aldini you know, dig into the steak one, and uh, Arena and Somar are uh, looking over the. Uh, more kind of cakey, potatoey one. And each of them, of course, has a try. And uh, the girls' panel is more sexual, as it always is, but, you know, whatever. Well, this the fairness to Food Wars, the girls' panel is more sexual, but the guys' panel actually has their clothes getting ripped off. Kind of like that, that weird thing in Fire Emblem Heroes that I don't hear nearly enough people talking about. It's like, so... Why is there always a portrait for each character having their clothes torn off when they're really weak, and the women's ones are all always more suggestive than the male ones? Okay. Yeah, you didn't know. Did, well, I didn't. I mean, I've only played like one or two Fire Emblem games, and I haven't played the recent ones. So. <laughs> this is specifically in the mobile one, which uh, I I stopped. Uh, I stopped playing at this point because I got really angry about how they interpreted one character that I liked. Wow. I know. Okay. It's it's shameful to me as well that I'm like, this, this was all it took. I was like, you got Ephraim wrong! You have no idea what he's like! He's so much cooler than the twin sets thing! <laughs> so, Rabble, 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 Rab
Senzaimon says, I want you to decide the winner yourselves. Point to the team that you believe whose dish was superior. Uh, all four of the kids point at the other team. Arena and Soma are pointing at Aldini and Megami and vice versa. And uh, a lot of the onlookers are shocked because it's like, I'm even Miss Arena, the Divine Tongue herself is pointing at the other team. And essentially what happens over the next few pages is uh, the four of them are interpreting each other's uh, dishes and, uh, you know, how, how wonderfully things came together, uh, for, between both teams. And, uh, Aaron is like d- describing Dojima's team as having like, it's like an impromptu jam session played by a seasoned jazz band. Sure. Which, is. by the way, this is a, that, it's such a weird assortment of instruments that they have in this. It was like, okay, keyboard, stand up bass. Drums. I like to think that none of That's their styles it. are like he's doing like uh, uh, Aldini's doing like Beethoven, fucking uh, Dojima's doing like Foo Fighters, and then Megami's doing like fucking Take on Me, <laughs> and none of them blend together at all. Megami would fit. Megami would fit in with like you know one of those weird rock bands that's got like a bizarre assortment of instruments on them. But yeah, actually. <laughs> And uh, then on the other hand, Aldi is like, oh, yeah, you, your dish was nothing short of a masterpiece of collaborative abstract art. It shows, like, the, the, the three of them in, like, jumpsuits throwing paint at walls. And it's like, yeah, but abstract art is terrible, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the way they characterize it, though. Like, I like the way that Dojima's one. It's like, it's, it's all cohesive, like, this beautiful orchestric melody, despite the fact the instruments don't represent that very well. But then... <laughs> Team Saibas is just this chaotic clusterfuck of things, but it just yeah. works. Um, and uh, Aldini and Soma start to fight uh, a little bit over this, because uh, he's like, you win, you must accept that. And Soma's like, hey, who said you get to decide on this? They're arguing with each other over this. And um, they start to, everyone starts to really dwell on the stake uh, that Arena made. And Aldini is like, I mean, you know, you're a big part of the reason for, you know, why this vision worked out. And making me says, oh, yeah, and I was really surprised by, by what you did, too. And I was like, yeah, you know, th- you saw that Yuki Hiro's approached this dish from a texture perspective and had the bravery to answer with yet another powerful texture. And uh, Aaron is like, yeah, I'm not really that proud of that because it was such a bizarre idea to do. And all three of them are like, no, this was great. And even someone's getting into it, too. Like, yeah, you looked like you were having a lot of fun making food. It was cool. And uh, they're just all started, of course, yelling at each other because Aaron hates being teased about it. And uh, they descend into rabble, 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 rabble. They um, tease into that oh-so-awful situation of everybody complimenting one another. Jeez, oh. don't you hate that? Oh man, you, yeah, that uniform looks so good on you too. It's like, geez, it's mine looks so so makes me look flabby. No, no, it suits your figure perfectly. It's, it's oh man, I, I can't believe it. And your hair is so much better than mine. No, no, no. <laughs> so, since I'm honest, thinking to himself, yes, in order to make the most of the teamwork during a regiment de cuisine, it is vital that. Each member have a thorough and visceral grasp of each of their teammates' strengths and weaknesses. Without that, they will never be able to keep up with the continually shifting conditions during the Shokugeki itself, the hurdles each has overcome, the strength and determination they have gained, 
Now they've each had the chance to reconfirm those with each other. The result of this first training scrimmage is better than we could have hoped. So, I mean, it all makes sense. Um, you know, to them experiencing firsthand where each of them stands specifically uh, in a competitive environment allows them to get an idea of uh, what each of their strengths are and how they can work together. Oh. All makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, um, and I guess it's the right decision to go with if you want to have like, oh, we're having a practice scramble going against each other. Um, you could have had one team win over the other uh, very easily since it's just a scrimmage. And, of course, each of them have these two adult chefs working with them. But I guess it was more important in this moment to just establish, oh, yeah, they've got a chance of you know really working together well which is a big new element that is being introduced for this team-on-team contest. Yeah, but it had to kind of establish the culinary chemistry between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Senzaemon starts talking to Erina afterwards, and, and you know, he's, he's like, oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad that uh, you, you were kind of enjoying yourself creating that dish, and Erina's like, oh, come on! Even you! What the fuck? Everyone's ganging up on me. And uh, she goes into her, you know, kind of cinderate phase and uh, says, I was just goaded on by the Yuki here as a normally I would never consider doing such a thing. And Sendomon says, well, it is precisely that which has helped to hone their skills. And uh, she glances over to where Soma and Aldini are still bickering because, of course, they are. And uh, her grandfather says, I expect such clashes are a common, even welcome occurrence between Joichiro and young Soma. And that's why, even the, in the heat of this contest, young Soma was able to put forth his ideas without an ounce of fear. And uh, Aaron is like, oh, but that's kind of, isn't it rude to contradict your own father like that? I mean, I would never be able to do that. I could never act that selfishly. And Sinzamon says, what's wrong with being a little selfish now and then? You are father and daughter. It's high time you learned how to ask your parents to indulge you a little. Uh, and the end of the, the uh, chapter is um, uh, Azami arriving at the rendezvous point uh, alongside of Sukasa and Rindo. Uh, big badass uh, picture for their arrival, too. Well, it's badass for two of them. Rindo's clearly shivering. Not Rindo. Rindo looks cold. And I'm like, why would you just wear the skirt? (laughs) I'm like, come on now. They can't. Well, I guess uniform. I guess they can force you to do it. But at least wear like, I don't know, stockings or something, right? (laughs) I like this chapter. Um, Had some really cool stuff from from, uh, Senzaemon. Yeah. Um, Starting to, he's, I think for the first time, really, he's starting to really come off as, like, this old, wise master uh, that he's, I think, kind of always meant to have. But uh, he's, he seems like he's actually got an, a, a big a plan and, and knows what's going on now. It, it's it's interesting, though, because now he's he's firmly, like, a protagonist, like a hero character. He's always... You know, prior to a zombie, he was an attack. He was the force in the school that kept putting out these challenges. He was ne- never directly like antagonistic directly towards Soma, but he was the force of this school that was very cutthroat and very savage to its students. So he was always sort of a mm-hmm. negative force. Whereas now, because of the way things have gone, he's you know been ousted, has no power anymore, and he is just a mentor. And it's 
it's nice seeing him in this role, not only just as a teacher, but also as, you know, a grandfather to his granddaughter who's in a pretty shitty situation trying to motivate her to overcome it. I, I like that. It, the more that I can see the people of Alice's family who actually care about her trying to motivate her, it's nice to see that because that's, I hope, going to be a big part of her eventually overcoming her fear of her father. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> a, lot, a big a big subplot in this whole thing is Erna understanding that uh, her father's not the be all end all and everything. He's not. The know, I really, yeah, I I really like the um, the line that uh, Sendamon has, and it's like, yeah, just be. It's okay to be selfish, you know. Um, indulge yourself a little bit. You, you're allowed to have your own life. All right, we've got uh, jump stars to go through. Uh, starting with our newest one, Demon Prince Poro's Diaries. So this is a primarily comedy series. It looks like there might be some action in it, but it seems like it's going to mostly be for laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about the Demon Prince Poro. He is this uh, young demon uh, who... Um, Basically, in the demon world, uh, everything is decided through physical conflict. Uh, he is set to take over the throne from his father in one year's time and become the demon king. But in the meantime, uh, anyone can challenge him. And essentially, if uh, he is challenged and defeated, then uh, he will no longer be the top-ranked demon. And uh, so someone else will take over the throne. They care too much about actually keeping the throne, but people are just constantly picking on him and challenging him. And he's got the most punchable face. I mean, how could they not? Like, this is, this guy has one of the most punchable faces. <laughs> I, I'm far more entertained by the fact that it's an entire society that seems to operate on the WWE hardcore rules of just like, no matter what it is, just beat the shit out of them and you win. You're the best. It's like, wait, so I can be like taking a dump and some dude runs into my house with like a trash can and just beats the shit out of me? Yes, you must always be prepared. I don't know if you've ever seen that Afro Samurai series, but it's essentially like he's got the number two headband, and so anyone can challenge him for it. Uh, So, um, he decides that he wants a vacation, and so he's going to go to the human world, and uh, he goes to the human world and he joins a human, you know, class... There are some goofy moments here and there where things are just constantly getting him, constantly trying to be, to, to attack him, including literally Demon Shonen Jump. Uh, this, this is a weird series. And Poro is so strong that even though he doesn't want to fight anyone, he just wants to be left alone and, and have a good time and do stupid otaku shit. Um, you know, people come up to him and they're like, we're going to take your, your number one rank, Poro, and they just beast them up immediately because he's that ridiculously strong in comparison to seemingly everybody else in, in the demon world. Um, And uh, he ends up befriending this guy named, what, is it Yuta? I think Yuta. And uh, Yuta actually protects him from some human bullies, and so they they they, they get along really well drags Yuta around. Well, not really drags, but he's like, oh, we can do everything, and Yuta 
and Toro go around doing all sorts of stuff. Poro ends up with this stupid fucking cat hat. Oh my god. <laughs> He's so pathetic. But he kills everyone in this series. Um, and then some demons actually show up from the demon world to try and cause trouble. They end up kidnapping Yusa to try and get at Poro. Really pissed off at this. Uh, go- actually reveals his demonic form in order to take them on. Uh, he grows black wings and the tail. Punches a portal between the two dimensions in order to toss them back through and to get them to leave. He thinks that his wonderful life in the human world is already over because Yuta has discovered his secret, but uh, it's just like, oh, that was amazing. And uh, Poro's like, what? You, you don't, you're not scared because I'm a demon? He's like, no, it doesn't matter because we're pals. We're friends. And uh, that's it. And so Poro decides that, you know, he can't just run away forever. He's going to have to take over his father's throne in the next year. But in the meantime, he's going to learn as much as he can in the human world and then take that knowledge back with him into the demon world in order to make changes when he takes the throne. That's the first chapter. Yes, and he has a diary that he's going to keep it all in. Um... Okay, I mean, Ed. I couldn't have cared less about this, and I feel it didn't, bad. It really, didn't really do anything for me. The issue uh, I have is that this premise, I feel like, is done way too often in Jump. And yeah. there's so many stories about the Prince of Hell coming out to the human world, or some variation of a high-ranking demon from Hell who comes to the human world to learn something. Like, it's just a premise that's done so often, and they're almost always done to the same extent, too. The demon comes to the human world... Yeah. Devil? Or what, what was it? There was, that series we did a couple of years ago. Uh, it was about the, Soon and Boss's Daily Demon Diary or something like that. There was, another, there was, there was, there was one where like the, the daughter of hell came up and was trying mm-hmm. to find love or something like that. It, it, it's always the same sort of premise of the person who comes up from hell. It's a comedy series. They're super duper strong, but it's, it's all about trying to like find the humanity in the human world and everything like that. And it, it's, it's fine, but it's just, I don't know. I just get very bored of the premise really quickly, unless there's something distinct about it. Um, and and this one just honestly, it's not it's not the the demon part of it. Honestly, that bothers me specifically. Yes, I, I agree. It's been it's been done a lot. It's more the uh, not the flavor, but the general idea of. Oh, I just want to go to a high school and try to have a normal life, but things keep on happening to me. I I can't run away from my destiny forever, but it's a comedy series, so I'll try. I mean, yeah, well, that's uh, the other thing. Like springtime for or number seventeen, springtime, whatever that was. The robot series was essentially again, yeah. just the robot assassin version of this. A robot assassin who wanted to live a normal high school life, but robots keep attacking, essentially, or, or whatever. So. Psyche Kuso Sign On is a big series. That's uh, it's kind of the same. It's just like, I just want to have a normal, boring life, but I'm got psychic power, so I can't. You know. Yeah, and again, I don't want to. I, I I know I probably came off kind of harsh. It's just that immediately, like I didn't care for this. It's not that I feel that these things are bad. It's just it's hard to even like. This is going to leave my mind. It'd be something we're probably going to try to remember in reference to when the next version of this comes out. You know. <laughs> From now, whatever, gonna be like, what was that one thing we read with like the 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 the, the cat hat guy, and he he, he punched oh demons God. or something? And Nick really wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah, like, 
it, it's not that I'm I'm saying these things are are bad. It's just that this is a premise and like a uh, a tone or a theme, I guess, that is done very commonly in Jump, and it's it's hard to remember these things unless something is very distinct about them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely possible that I don't know. Maybe this will actually end up being a really funny series. Uh, I definitely don't. From the taste that we got in this, I definitely think that the artist is talented enough um, that if they have some good jokes on their side, then yeah, maybe things could turn out to be better. Uh, I think that we've got a couple of glimpses in that opening two-page spread, uh, like hints at some other characters. Maybe they'll be you know more entertaining. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Does, do we have an announcement for? Let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. So next week we are going to have another jump start uh, called Hungry Mary. That's the one by so, the uh, Beelzebub guy, I believe. Mm-hmm. So uh, that we're this will be this is the last week for the jump start run of We Never Learn. Um, before we get into that and and U nineteen, uh, I should note that. Uh, you can, of course, always take the show and jump poll. If any of these three series or any of the ones, uh, p- uh, that are coming in future weeks, if they, you know, really do it for you, then, uh, you should let, uh, Viz know, let the show and jump English team know, uh, because, uh, they might end up adding it on a permanent basis. Who knows? And speaking of if it's things you get you turned on, let's talk about libido powered the series. <laughs> I'll give you that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's not nearly as much of a stretch as you're kind of making it out to be. Honestly, <laughs> uh, U19. Uh, last time uh, we just got half the premise. You know, the impression that I seriously got after reading this chapter was: I bet that Shonen Jump has confidence in this series. Because of the rate that it took to get going, like they are not rushing to get through it. No, th- it, you said like the we last week we got the first half of it, and it's like actually I think we got the first third of we it last got, week. <laughs> we still like we'll probably understand what everything is going on by the end of the next chapter. Um, and if it's done well, I might very well come out of it next week. Going like, oh yeah, I want to see more. But in the meantime, it's like. It's it's getting kind of we're just learning more and more, and it sort of feels like all this stuff could have been done. It really feels like by the time we reach the end of the third chapter, it'll feel like we should have just had it all in one chapter. So, like I mean, in my mind, one of two things: one, the author is just taking their time; two, the author was told that they can take their time. Mm. Uh, so. I mean, it is entirely possible that uh, Yuji Kimura basically has just been given the green light on this and has said, yeah, you don't need to rush through this, you know, tell your story, and then, you know, we'll give you the chance to to really get it going. Um, If that is the case, then it seems as though we might end up getting this for, you know, a longer run. And in in the meantime... I still don't know <laughs> if I'm going to like it or not because we haven't seen all of it yet, you know? It, it's hard to, like, 
because the, the, the central pilot has been broken up into three pieces, it's hard to get into an idea on what the tone... Like, is this always what the series is going to be like? Is it always going to be this mm-hmm. melodramatic with this this much of a romance subplot to it or or all these things? Or is it going to be something completely different once this stops? You know, it's, it's tough to actually say. Uh, I I mean, obviously, the, the element of the grown-up party and kids against adults, that's going to be heavily there. And based off of the mm-hmm. uh, revelation of libido powers, I can guess that there will be some sort of uh, element to teen romance in there. But it's tough to tell exactly what this ultimately is going to be about because there's, there's still we're still like in the climax of the premise, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... In this chapter, we get uh, the follow-up of uh, Eiji wanted to confess to Akari. Akari uh, took the blood test, the genetic test, and got a triple S rank, which means that she's going to be taken to a different school. She's being taken to an A rank school, or she'll better fit in. And, uh, of course, this is very upsetting to Eiji because he's going to be separated from his childhood friend, from the girl that he wants to you know, marry and stuff. And uh, she's being moved right away. And, um, Eiji, of course, starts to get really pissed off because he understands that this was not really a part of Akari's decision. They just made this idea, this decision for her. And, uh, he, he's like, you know, you haven't even asked, you know, what Akari's opinion on this is. And, uh, the teacher, uh, tackles him to the ground and is like, this is none of your business. And Eiji's like, but we made a promise that we would get married when we grow up. And, uh, Akari's parents start to laugh and they're like, it was when you were children though. Come on. And, um, Akari runs off, uh, and just runs to the roof. And, uh, you know, she's trying to get Agent to stop chasing after her. He manages to shake off the teacher and run after. And, uh, he gets, he gets up to her on the roof where it's raining. And Akari's like, ah, it's such a beautiful day. I'm really happy. You're crying. No, I'm crying because I'm happy. Um, and honestly, I think it's a pretty darn emotional scene. Like, I, this, this artist draws crying really well, I think. Um, very big emotional frickin' tears. And, uh, AG, you know, delivers this big full confession and says, I know that this sucks when I, that I'm only telling you right when you're about to leave, but I was, all, I was, I was planning on confessing to you today. And ever since we were kids, I've known you were the one for me. I felt that way since we made that, you know, childish promise. I wanted to ask you to go out with me and I wanted to do it as a couple. And Akari throws herself into his chest and looks up at him and says, why are you telling me that now? I thought that I could actually be okay with with these feelings that I have for, have for you if I were separated from you. But now that you've told me that, I don't know if I can handle it because I love you too. Of course I love you. And they embrace in the rain and, oh, it's so sad and dramatag And AG is thinking, why didn't I do this sooner? Now, the rest of the chapter is very different. <laughs> a fat Nazi shows up in a helicopter and shoots him. Literally, like... <laughs> It's not a swastika on his armband, but it might as well it's be. It's <laughs> everything but a swastika. Um, yeah, they just show up in this helicopter that's got grown-up party on the tail, and uh, he's like, I'm here to keep, I'm here to take you on me, Miss Sakari Tsukino. Everyone's like, how are we hearing each other so well over the roar of this helicopter? <laughs> it's a grown-up helicopter. Shut up. <laughs> um, so... 
he dismounts from the helicopter. He's going to take her away. Eiji says, no, you can't do this. I'm Akari's boyfriend, and nothing's going to get between us. Now I'm the grown-up party. Nothing's going to separate us. And uh, the guy who's gone down from the helicopter is just like, what a pain. <laughs> just shoots him right in the arm with a gun. And uh, the guy starts to, you know, justify himself like, corporal punishment's illegal. This is assault. <laughs> this is battery, for that matter. Just starts beating the shit out of him, goes over to him while he's got the gunshot wound, stomping a mud hole in him, punching him in the face and throwing him against the guardrail on the roof. Um, and Akari is just like, please stop, I'll go with you. Don't kill him. <laughs> um, AG is left broken and bleeding, and he's, but uh, he just thinks to himself, this is not right, and you know, it doesn't matter how powerful the grown-up party is, they don't have the right to take away the person who's most important to me. And uh, he starts to kind of have a flashback while he starts to stagger to his feet, remembering the conversation he had in the first chapter, which is, uh, you know, the people who are resisting the adults have certain powers that awaken when they're exposed to extreme stress. And uh, A.D. stumbles fo- forward, and he starts to feel his heart beating really hard in his chest. And he reaches out towards Akari, you know, you know, begging in his mind, don't go. And uh, suddenly, this bizarre scar appears in his right arm, and sprouting from his right pinky is a needle. Uh, basically, it's the red thread of fate that uh, you know, goes along with Japanese uh, you know, culture and uh, them thinking that they were connected by it. And so his libido powers have unlocked, and he has spreaded this bizarre string and needle from his finger. And that's where the chapter ends. Uh, we don't see him use it. We don't see him try to fight back. It's just, he has this power, and that's it. So... Oh, I don't know why. That very concept of, like, a needle moving up and through his skin and shooting out of it, like, I don't know why. That's just, like, it, it's like a fucking nail in the back of my spine. I don't, it's so gross to me. It's unique, though. It um, is unique, and I like the fact that it is so visceral in the way it's displayed mm-hmm. that you're able to get that reaction. Plus, you know, he's got his, his heart beating like it's going to explode out of his chest, and uh, the fact that he got shot in the shoulder, he's bleeding from the mouth. So, yeah. I am getting more excited about this as we go along in these two chapters. So um, it's entirely possible that I might end up being very hooked on this by the time that we actually get through the three-chapter-long, one-chapter pilots. <laughs> and I feel like this is actually, it's, it's, I made a couple jokes at it, but this could be a unique premise. I, I feel like I would have chose a better name than libido powers, but I understand the context of it. But I, I do like this idea of like a power source that's essentially fueled by teenagers and they're, like, heavily hormonally influenced passions for romance. Like, I think that's a unique concept to play around with, mm-hmm. you know? It's like playing on a mutant sort of logic, but going a little bit further and more specific with it, that it, you know, activates when, you know, your hormones are going crazy, basically. You know, this entire manga is obviously very symbolic of a lot of things, especially of, like, coming of age, so... It's not as though the symbolism is very subtle, but I do like what it's doing, at least as something different. Um, I really do kind like, the mere fact that it's like, okay, well, we t- we're taking our time on this. It actually makes me feel hope that like, it does turn out well, because it's like, if you're confident this is going to work out, then okay, I want to see you actually, it actually work out then. 
because um, I don't know. Uh, and the last of our just starts. Uh, we never learn. Who's this, Chris? Because you're the uh, substitute Osamu guy. Yeah, he is. It's he's my substitute Osamu now. Yuga or Yuega. I don't know how to pronounce it, Nick. Yuga. 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 I think. But he is. He's fucking black so anyway, hair, so anyway, Schmitty. Guy, very thin. Yeah, Schmitty Johnson. <laughs> Osamu two, as I like to call him, Osamu dose. <laughs> Uh, he does. He, he has the glasses. He has the black hair. Same sort of body type, and he just tries so hard, Nick. He tries so so hard. He's not the best, but he tries. He really does try hard, doesn't he? Uh, and just like Osamu, he's got two hotties. That <laughs> hey, Osamu has one maybe hottie, and that's it. The girls aren't flocking to Osamu. So impressed with his fucking try hardness. Who's got the more entertaining family, Osamu or Yuiga? <laughs> oh, uh, Yuiga, because his fucking, like, little brother and sister are just like, so which one of you is he banging? <laughs> you've, got the, you've got the biggest chest, so I hope he bangs you first. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yuiga's just, like, Yuiga's, or uh, Osamu's mom's just, like, very stoic, and like, you can't tell if she's constantly on the verge of screaming at her child, or if she's just lost her emotions in, like, a tragic accident of some kind. Um, so yeah, basically what we've got in this chapter is, uh, Yuga's students show up at his house for the first time so that he can uh, tutor them there. And uh, his family, of course, is freaking out about it. Uh, particularly his youngest siblings, his, his, uh, his twin, uh, siblings. And, uh, yeah, uh, they're of course shocked that they're there to begin with. And, uh, they basically get to have interactions with essentially everyone. Um, so, uh, first off, yeah, you got the, the two locals who are just like, which one of you is his, bo- is his girlfriend? And Yuga's like, don't interrupt us. <laughs> well, I like that. You've the, got work to do. The younger brother's like, I bet it's this one. She's got huge hooters. And the other, she like, <laughs> just flat out. just like, <laughs> and the other one's like, no, this one's tall and thin. And they're like, hey, go away. And they, like, move them away, and, uh, like, the kids apologize for that way, and fucking the literature girl's like, no, it's okay, and I'm not that flat-chested, I'll have you know. <laughs> just like, she is, like, I have to come in to defend it. I still also have boobs, it's just hers are ridiculous. Well, do you see, fucking, when they first show up at the door at the beginning, she's taking this pose, like, just going, mm, <laughs> just freaking thrusting them out unintentionally. And it's just like, okay, I can understand how they would notice that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the old their 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 older siblings show up later on too, and they're like, "Oh my god, you've got a girlfriend!" It's like, no, no, he doesn't. <laughs> oh wait, that's his mom too. That's the one who was like sick in the, in the first chapter. Um. Uh, his oldest scissor, sister is like, "Since when were you interested in romance?" I'm not. And uh, they're like, well, Mizuki's got a brother complex. I do not! Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's it's the thing. It's so cliche. <laughs> it's cliche, but I like... I, I didn't pay enough attention to the uh, brother complex thing. But I do like that she essentially is just like, neither of these two are good enough for my brother. It's just like... I don't, I, 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 again, I'm trying to ignore like the idea that she's like, none of these are good enough for my brother because I'm the one meant for it. But just ignore the notion of like a sister who's like, no, none of you are good enough for my brother because he tries so hard for this family and no one's ever going to live yeah. up for my expectations. I was like, okay, at least it's honorable. 
Um, and of course, the know, two of them are so fucking superior that they're constantly perfect, just blowing yeah. away everything she has set up to like test them. Fumino and Rizu kind of try to get away um, because they're like, oh, this is going to lead to kind of an awkward situation, you know, because his mother invites them to dinner. And they're like, no, we no, we can't impose. And she's like, it's raining really hard outside, though, so you're stuck here. <laughs> um, the oldest sister tries to intimidate Ogata by just giving her a ridiculous amount of information in one go for preparing dinner. And uh, she's like, aha, if you can't handle this test, then she's not worthy of my brother. And like, two seconds later, she's like, I'm done. You're, you're done? You asked me, didn't you? You didn't ask me to repeat anything. No, everything's precise. And uh, Yuga's just like, yep, I understand your pain, sis. Because she's fucking perfect. And then, then they go back to the to the other room, and Fumino has made the, the two youngest siblings cry. And they're like, "How dare you do this? Uh, you know, what did you do?" Oh, well, they asked me to tell them a story that they never heard of before, and I couldn't think of one, so I just made one up on the spot. Oh, you scared them? You made them cry with a scary story? And they're like, "No, it was just so moving and beautiful." <laughs> I love their line of like, "Why are human beings such inexpressibly beautiful creatures?" I'm like, "Aren't you like eight? <laughs> They look like they're five, for that matter. Um, and they, like, start to finally get along a little bit with Mizuki, who reveals herself as the Cinderella of the series, because because they're like, this is such delicious food, I want more! And they're like, flattery will get you nowhere. And uh, their, their younger siblings are like, Mizuki's the best cook in the world! And she's like, oh, shut up! Mm-hmm. Um... So, Yuga kind of passes out, uh, because he's just so tired from, like, everything. And, uh, the younger siblings are like, yeah, he barely even sleeps these days because he's working so hard. And, uh, Rizu and Fumino look at the notebooks and they're like, yeah, this is, this is our fault. And the younger sibling's like, no, no, he always, he's just doing this for everyone. He always puts other people first. He's always pushing himself like this. He's not the most talented guy, but he really looks out for others. And, uh, so they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we get that. We count on him a lot. And they're like, in that case, when are you going to get married? Okay, so I want to retract my statement that Poro has the most punchable face. <laughs> <laughs> it's these children with their fucking fingerless hands. <laughs> um... Yuga walks the girls, I guess, to the train stop, or, I think. I don't think he, we, we actually see them, uh, he, we actually see them drop them off anywhere. Uh, and he apologizes on their behalf, um, on the behalf of his younger siblings. Like, yeah, you know, don't mind too much about what they said. I hope you didn't really take them seriously. You know, I mean, you guys are always welcome to come over, obviously. We're, we'd be glad to have you. And of course, the girls are just thinking, like, like, when are you going to get married? And they're like, mm-hmm, I'm embarrassed about that. Yeah. Um, that's the end of the chapter. I, I'm kind of in roughly this, not roughly, I'm in, I put this series a little bit ahead of Poro because it's like, okay, I've seen a lot of this stuff before, you know, it's like, oh, the teasing, the love triangle, the character archetypes and stuff, but this series has the advantage that it's able to make me laugh a lot more easily, I think. 
the jokes in Poro, a lot of the times I'm just kind of like, okay, you know, you're, he's got a cat hat on and, uh, he looks even more annoying than, than he did before. Okay. Whereas this one, you know, the jokes come hard when they come and the, the, I think that it, they, that they hit harder. Um, so in that respect, I, I think that this, I would put this as being better off in my mind, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm still not terribly excited about it, honestly, though. I, I, I kind of like it. I, I, I think it's mostly due to the fact that I really like the protagonist and it might just be because I'm missing Osamu and this is a nice, like, pick me up for it. But I, I do like, I think that this series has been a romance series and it's clearly the direction it's going in, but it hasn't relied that heavily on fan service. Like, it's been a while since that first chapter now where it's like, we're going to get naked and start so bathing. So, yeah, if it had maintained that pace, instead what would have happened is, like, uh, the, the, the two twins would have been, would have been like, we have to make sure that you guys are fit, are fit for you, for our big brother, and they just strip them naked all of a sudden, just like, oh, this got really creepy in the last two pages again. Uh, I was just gonna assume that every chapter would end with the two girls going Time home and taking the bath. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I, I don't, I don't have a, uh, I think I like the fact that it doesn't go to that length, and it's, it, it, you know, it's that thing I kind of like that Nisekoi did, where it's like, look, fan service is going to be in here, but we're going to try to emphasize a bit more of, like, the comedy aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think this is up to that same quality of what Nisekoi was, but I still think this is definitely enjoyable. So, if this was the only jumpstart of the one we've read that got to stay, I'd be fine with it. I think it definitely has potential, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I should note that we have an update. Not only is Fairy Tale out, they put up two chapters. Oh God! I, I guess I don't know. There's um, it's Hero Row Two, I guess. <laughs> so we'll have to get to that at some point tonight. Well, we could do we could do Astra. You can do whatever you want, buddy. All right, let's do let's get, let's cover Astra well, for a bit. Astra Oyster. Astra Lost in Space, I think we'll cover this series occasionally. Um, it doesn't get posted regularly, so we're not going to cover it regularly, I'll point out. But we'll cover it whenever we think to, I think. Um, so last time, the planet that the crew was on uh, flooded. They managed to get away. And there was, of course, that big uh, confrontation between uh, Luca and... Uh, fuck, what's his name? Oga. Ogar or something? Ogar, yeah, Ogar, Ogar, yes, and Ogar um, is wearing a shirt that is captioned "mild things," <laughs> which freaking every like dark brooding character in a show in a Shonen Jump series should wear. Honestly, <laughs> I feel like characters are wearing too many like uh, very telling shirts about themselves because uh, Luca mm-hmm. is wearing transient love. And then there's the uh, deep dope arrow sign pointing down from my hero, where it's just like, what t-shirt line are they getting these t-shirts from? Luca, of course, uh, revealed that he is intersex in the uh, big climax, uh, the climactic confrontation they had. And uh, so we get Olgar apologizing, doing the very... The typical, like, you know, bowing and subjugation kind of thing. And, uh, saying, like, you know, I, I'm sorry. Not only did I try to kill you, I made you expose your secrets. 
And Luke was like, no, no, it's my, it's kind of my fault for actually trying to keep it a secret in the first place. And there's a very awkward, uh, interaction because Olga's like, no, no, it's my fault. And why did, I mean, you know, I made you strip. And Luke was like, hmm, what's that? What, what, what was that? Can you say that again? I, I made you strip and <laughs> Lucas immediately like taking advantage of the situation and, te- and teasing Olgar over it. But he says very sincerely, I don't mind. It's okay. Uh, I mean, it's something my dad did let your brother's death. Then I do owe you an apology. And you know, you and me were kind of a lot alike in our family situations. And I understand where you're coming from. Um, all of us here know what it's like to go through rough times. We're all capable of sympathizing with each other's problems. None of us are alone. Um, and Olgar says, well, I'm not totally convinced your dad is innocent. Uh, someday I'm going to, fi- I'm going to dig into everything he's done. Starting moving to have him censured, but first we need to get home safe. So, um, so the team is on the same page for the first several pages of this chapter. Uh, they won't be at the end. Um, but, uh, it was, it's, it, I really like that they do just have these sincere moments in this story. And I, I like, I've, one of the things that I've appreciated about it is that these guys feel more and more like, like friends as time goes by, as they get to know each other and rely on each other more. Uh, Z- I think it's Zach, right? Is his first name? Uh, the, yeah, the pilot. Yeah. He says, uh, he points out some stuff about, uh, Lucas' father, uh, specifically, you know, would he have truly just assassinated someone for exposing a minor scandal? And so the crew speaks among themselves and they, this, then they realize maybe he actually stumbled across something bigger than he initially set out to investigate. And Olgar, in his flashback, um, remembers his brother saying something similar. Uh, so he's like, okay, yeah. And, but, you know, there is something going on here. You know, we know our accident wasn't really an accident. Uh, if there's a killer among us, he or she is just the weapon. Somebody else must be giving the orders. Adults are liars. And someday I'm going to become a journalist and I'm going to expose all their lies to the entire world. You do you, Ogar. You, you follow your dreams, dude. <laughs> um, Ogar actually get, uh, wants to surrender the gun. Uh, but he's still, no, you, you, you hold on to it. You're the only one who knows how to use it anyway. So it's now your responsibility. And Ogre goes, okay. All right. Um, we get a, a montage of, uh, stuff progressing among everybody. Um, they recap, Olgar is staying as quiet as he usually has been, but I think he's definitely changed. And we see him, uh, playing around with, uh, God, I cannot pronounce her name, but the little girl. Fuck yeah, it. little girl character. Little girl. Uh, you know, letting her play around with this hat and stuff. It's a little cute scene. But it's uh, a little background event. And as Luca wished, all of us are continuing to treat him as a boy, though the other boys have grown bashful about some things. And there's a bit where Luca's they're like, come on, guys, let's sumo wrestle. And they're like, oh, you've got boobs, though. <laughs> um, and... And for Luca himself, it seems like his secret getting out in the open has taken a load off his shoulders. He seems happier than ever, and is best friends with the whole crew. We see, like, Olgar suddenly arguing with them. It's like, quit making fun of me and grabbing him by the collar. His vest pops open a little bit. And he's like, ah, I'm sorry. Uh, uh. And Luca's just constantly, I guess, enjoys doing this. Oh, like, no. oh, no, my, my chest My, my, my chest exposed. almost got exposed. Um, he's like, stop doing this. You're doing it on purpose. <laughs> Um, 
And uh, the rest of the chapter, uh, then, is about Shars, creepily sparkly boy that he is. And uh, they have a conversation around dinner at one point, uh, and when Shars mentions uh, the fact that they, because they, he attended school together with Ares, and uh, Shars is like, "Oh yes, I'm in biology, but I'm afraid in biology, yeah." And, and Ares is like, "Oh, I took biology too, and the teacher, yeah, 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 yeah." And they start talking about stuff, and uh, uh, they, they just point out, "Oh, if there was only one biology class in the school, then you two must have been together." And Shars is like, "Ha, yeah, but I don't remember. Oh no, I don't remember seeing her." And Ares is like, "Yeah, her grade was big enough that." And Ares is like, "Oh yeah, but uh, wait, but I don't remember Shars." And like. Oh, yeah, it was a big biology class, you know. And Ares is like, no, I've got photographic memory. I remember the names and faces of everyone in all my classes, and you weren't there, Shars. And uh, he gets this suddenly very, very serious look on his face, because Ares says, like, are you hiding something? And that's where the chapter ends. Um, so it looks like we're going to get a character focus on the next little arc in the series is going to be about Shars, uh, who is kind of the last person really due for it, I guess, aside from Zack. Um, Zack, so. yeah, I guess that would be it, basically. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, perhaps Annalisa's theory is, is right after all. Yeah, Shars is the traitor, because no one can be that sparkly without being up to something. <laughs> uh, okay, um, Promise Neverland, I think, we'll do next. Chapter 27, won't let you die. Um, yeah, Norman decided that he's going to just go ahead and let himself be taken away. And Ray and Emma independently decided, nope, not going to let that happen. And there's a great moment at the beginning of the chapter because they tell him, yeah, we're going to have you escape by yourself tomorrow afternoon before they can take you away. And Norman's like, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. Like, no, denied. Just cut him off immediately. <laughs> Um, there are some moments of great levity in this chapter because it's a very serious conversation that they have oh, yeah. uh, through, all throughout it because you know, these three people are trying to all keep each other alive in this very, very difficult situation. Um, yeah, But there are just moments that really cut through the tension uh, that are much needed, I think, during the whole conversation, and this is the first of them. I really like the expression that Norman gets on his face when <laughs> there's like, denied! Yeah. <laughs> It's a, like it's a, in, in sync denied. <laughs> uh, and Ray says, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna pretend to escape. We'll nullify your tracking device. Pretend that you've escaped. You'll hide in the area until Emma's leg is healed, and then on the day of the escape, you're gonna run away with us. Until then, you'll be someone who is gone. You can and you'll be free to move around the entire facility. You can investigate." the way that we aren't able to, because everyone's going to be keeping an eye on us. We're going to turn this, essentially, we're going to turn this situation to our advantage. And Norman starts pointing out problems with this, with this plan. Like, first of all, if I run away, the security is going to get tighter. And Ray says, no, according to the policies that we're being raised under, I don't think that they'll actually do that. There are two reasons for this. And one is that we have to be allowed to grow freely and healthily. Uh, we have to essentially be free range chickens. If we are, if even if so much as they decide to raise the wall a little bit, then, uh, 
maybe that will cause the children to feel like they're actually trapped and there's no world outside. And so our brains won't develop properly. Uh, the second thing is confidentiality. The demons don't want to show themselves no matter what the children might run. And you know, there's a reason why they have human. <coughs> Excuse me. Nick there's a reason why they have this podcast. <coughs> Oh, something got in my throat. So, can you take over just a second? Yeah. So, uh, we are. I'm trying to remember where you exactly were on this. <clears throat> page 103. So, yeah, they don't. If they, they basically, they have two reasons they can't do it. The first is that they need to let the humans basically grow so that they can have the best possible life, and the second is they can't show <clears throat> themselves because then the children would know something's up and they have to run. So basically. <laughs> They're playing on the fact that this perfect life that they've been given, that's been manufactured for them in this uh, this factory, is essentially something that can be exploited by the uh, kids, because this essentially forces them into a certain set of rules, which uh, eventually slowly starts to, like, lead to, uh, you know, Norm, or uh, Ray basically telling them, like, you have to go... You know all these things, and Ray saying he starts to re- he just starts to rant yeah. uh, after he recaps this. Uh, you know he he kind of starts to get more desperate with trying to reason with Norman. Like you know we can d- the only thing that they can really do to tie in security, if at all, is is to just increase the number of caretakers here, and we can deal with that. Uh, and Norman's like, okay, but what if they make the wall just high enough that we can't climb it with a rope, and then how are we gonna get over it? So, you know and. You know, and it's like, then you'll hide and make a ladder for us. Um, and, um, you know, Norman keeps on introducing these ideas. Like, what if they introduce a new tracking device? And Ray's like, well, they'll have to put it into us while we're aware of, of it so that we'll know where it is. You ha- Look, you don't have to die. It's a trap to think that the only option for you is to get shipped out. I'll supply your food. We'll keep you hidden. We can deal with higher security. And I still have a trump card to outwit mom. So live, pretend to run away. And with this method, no one's like, no, I can't. It won't. And it's not just about the security. Because if I escape, one of you could get shipped out in my place. So if one of you were to get place, killed in place of me, there is absolutely no way I could live with that. It's okay. I'm prepared for it. Tomorrow's shipment can be helped. I'll give them my life. And I won't give them anything else. I have no intention of losing. I'll win. I'll make sure the escape plan is succeed, and that's enough. It's fine. And Ray is you know, really upset by this. He's losing it. He's, he's This is like the most out of control we've seen Ray, even when he was you know locked in the room by uh, Rebecca a couple of chapters ago. He can you can tell that like things are crumbling around him, and he he's thinking about all these different things, like you know. Like, I could come on, stop it. I know you don't want to lie. You're just trying to put on a, a, a good face so that we don't worry about you. I know that. Uh, it, you know, Emma got her leg broken. Norman's got to get shipped out. Everything is failing. I don't want this. And the only thing he says aloud is, you can't be serious. And if you are, what was I working for for the last six years? Um, and all Norman and, says is, like, sorry. As Ray yeah. like just panics more and more about how mm-hmm. everything's going to break apart and like all of his plans are crumbling around him, and then it cuts to Emma who's like, "Ray could break his leg too. We can all <laughs> break our legs." <laughs> I got a back, guys. Get over here. <laughs> all right, here we go. Taking one to the shins, Timmy. <laughs> 
And I love the way that she puts this. She's just got this, like, because, you know, Ray and, and Norman are having this super pre-pub, you know, prepubescent, like, angst contest over here. It's like, no, I won't let you die, but I won't let you die in my place. I'm sorry. So like, how can you do this to me? Hey, guys, let's just break our legs. <laughs> it, it, it's like, uh... Like that that brief period of death, though spoilers for death, that where Light and L were on the same team, and they were having like these logical battles with one another about how things would go. And Emma just pops in with the most show to jump answer of like, we could just all break our legs and be friends forever. How are we going to catch the new cure? We could break our legs. <laughs> you can't get us if all of us have heart attacks together. <laughs> I love the way that she puts it the second time, because they both look at her like, what the fuck are you talking about? And she's like, come on, Ray, let's break a bone or two. <laughs> um, and they're like, okay, what are you talking about? And it says, well, I'm hurt so badly, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get shipped out in your place. Remember what the demon said to the gates when they were talking over, uh, oh god, I have forgotten this girl's name Connie. so many times. Connie. Connie. When they were talking over her body, they're like, oh, I wish I could just take a fingertip. No, no, this is valuable merchandise. See, we're high-grade merchandise, and we're special. When we go out, we have to be in perfect form. So if someone were to take your place, it'd be Ray. And that's why if Ray were hurt just as badly, he would not get shipped out immediately. And everyone's just like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) And Ray's like, this is a great idea. But break my arm instead! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, then we'll break your arm! And I was like, wait a second! <laughs> like, I want, it, it just keeps going to better locations, like, it's Norman, like, no, it's not a guarantee, we'll get shipped out of here! She's like, they catch a cold! Norman's race, start eating out of the trash can! Get really, really sick! <laughs> There's a quesadilla I've left under my bed for a month and a half, go eat that! He's like, I'm on it! <laughs> Do we have any more expired ranch? Okay. Uh, Nemo does point out, like, hey, you know, break your arm is going to be super painful, and it'd be exhausting to be sick, so are you sure you're okay with it? And Ray's like, yeah. And I was like, but, but. <laughs> but it all leads it was, back to the greatest, most Emma-like sentiment, though. Yeah. Uh, cause Norm, cause Norman's like, this, are you, you guys are crazy you to go with this length. And Nemo's like, what are you talking about? This is way better than having you die, Norman. Remember what you said. You said we would all escape together. You're not, if you're not part of all of us, then I won't accept it. I don't care about the unexpected shipment. I don't care about mom's circumstances. There's never been an option to die for the beginning. Don't worry. We'll all escape from here together. Let's live together. And, uh, there's this very beautiful panel, uh, after this, it's not a full page spread, but it kind of feels like it should be where, you know, Norman is just sitting in front of Emma's bed. They're leaning in all towards each other. Ray's kind of, oh, he's not, he doesn't quite able to have his arms around them, but he's huddled around both of them. And Norman's just got his face in his hands. It's um, the only time I feel like we've actually seen a genuine appearing smile out of Ray as well. Like it's yeah. the one moment where you could truly see like, Oh, like, this is really what is at stake for him. Like, he actually does really care about, like, this is his happiness. Yeah. This is the one thing that pulls him out of his, like, edgelord kind of status. And this is the big moment. This feels like a really defining moment for this series because 
up to this point, we've got an idea that obviously they care about each other, especially by Ray's actions that he that have been hinted towards in the rest of the series, where he's you know, the lengths that he's gone to to protect who are essentially his siblings. Uh, but this is the moment where it really feels like these three are our freaking trio. Uh, they really do care about each other to the point that literally each of them would would die so that the others could live. Um, and it really feels like that. And it is not just in the things that they're saying, but the way that they're looking at each other and the expressions that, that they're cha- that they're exchanging and the way that they're interacting with each other. And as a result of this huge setback in their plans that mom has caused for them, it really feels like they're coming together as a unit. So it's just a great chapter. Uh, and it's not quite done yet. Um, because they do a little bit of planning, uh, between panels and, uh, it's like, okay, this is our, this is their plan. You're going to pretend to climb the wall and to have escaped. Norman's going to be investigating the vicinity. Um, and, uh, hopefully he'll be able to accomplish things before security actually gets upped as a result of this. Um, and, uh, then after that, Norman says, by the way, there's been something on my mind. Uh, Ray, when and how did you find out about the secret? Because normally there'd be no way to find out the truth about the house. How and when did you know? And Ray kind of bizarrely enough smirks to himself and he says, I knew from the beginning and, uh, looks like we're starting to get a flashback, uh, from here as we see the three of them when they were little, little kids and they came across the gate, uh, together. Very good chapter. Really good, too. Really good chapter. So, yeah. I love Promise Neverland, and uh, I'm always, I, it's consistently one of the, one of the chapters I look forward to the most, uh, week in and week out, honestly. Mm-hmm. It is a pleasant, pleasant surprise. <laughs> I wouldn't use that adjective exactly. <laughs> uh, plus, a welcome addition to the magazine, I guess. Yes. Yeah, okay. Let's move on to Black Clover. Uh, okay, so last time, uh, Asta kicked Ladris's ass when the Demon King, totally not the Demon King, but it's the Demon King inside of him was awakened, and he had anti-magic flowing throughout his body, and, uh, took Ladris down with his big black meteor slash thingy. We pick things up in page 98. He's himself! I'm sure that must have sounded better in Japanese. <laughs> uh... Asta, you know, lands, you know, very samurai style, you know, followed through motion landing behind the bad guy he's just cut down. Ladros is, uh, shriveled up and bleeding from the mouth. Uh, the anti-magic has hit him so hard that all of the magic in his body is gone and he's kind of shriveled up as a result of it. So, Ladros, of course, now thinks he's going to die. Um, Meanwhile, Noelle is looking on, and she's thinking to herself, God, the power that Asta had, and the way he fought wasn't like Asta at all, and the way he looks, it's almost like... Which, I don't know if that's not the way Asta fights, running in and breaking through magic and slashing somebody down. That is kind of his M.O. I mean, he displayed a very different technique, 
But that still generally has his approach to fighting, so I kind of disagree with her on this count. I think the latter attack, definitely. The first one, though, I agree with you 100%, where it's like, no, Asta, like, shooting straight through an attack feels 100% Asta. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Asta, powerful attack, I'm gonna take it straight on and then beat you back! Whereas the second one, yeah, you, it's, you the know, The viciousness normally, of it? The yeah. viciousness of it, I'll agree with. But the general approach to it, no. <laughs> so... Ladros looks up, uh, actually looks up backwards and upside down at Asta and says, Kill me, I'm ready. And Asta looks down at him coldly. Black magic flowing through his face and into his hair. Pupils dilated. He says, Look, I kill you! Um, and just starts ranting at him, a very Asta way, which, which is, which is, I'm gonna go rescue the people you hurt, and you're gonna heal up, and you're gonna come help, and you're gonna apologize to everybody. I mean, you're kinda wrinkly and all bloody, but I don't show you any mercy, you're gonna help me. Um. Okay. See, I'm very torn on this. Cause. It's kinda cliche. Of the hero today, this is like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna be a good guy now that I beat you now, and it feels like, I mean, Asta hasn't had the chance to do this with somebody in a while, but it feels like it's going to kind of become a recurring thing with him, where he, you know, spares somebody and it is just like, now I've beaten you and you're gonna be a better person now, um, because you know it happened, it happened with Mars, but not. All in one go, obviously. Uh, and I do hope that if we are going to get multiple people where you follow the typical convention of the hero beat them and, uh, well, now they are going to be a good person now. I hope that at least each of them, you know, takes like a different path to it. Um, I don't want there to be any other Mars is in this story. You know, following the exact, exact path that he took. But, for example, if Ladros becomes the Caesar clown of this story, where he does horrible things, but then he's a wacky side character that you, where you just kind of forget that he did those terrible things, then I could be cool with that. See, I would, uh, I would disagree. I actually love this, because this feels very much in tone with Asta. Or, uh, yeah, Asta. I, I get confused with Astra in the, the same magazine, but this does feel 100% what Asta would do. You know, it's, it is what shonen characters do. They beat the hero, but Asta, I feel like, would naturally, after defeating somebody, be like, no, I'm not gonna kill you because you're gonna get better and be the right person. We're all gonna be friendship, awesome, effort, ever! Like, that's just, that's just who he is. And I like that that's actually being displayed here. Like, it's not, like, it, it's hard to remember this since, like, the last two or three times this situation's come up. Essentially, um, Yami's shown up to basically just kill the person. Like, that's what mm-hmm. happened with uh, Beto or something like that. But it isn't in Asta's character at all to kill the guy. And I, I, the only part of this I'm not a crazy big fan of is they are ra- rationalized that Ladros isn't oh, fully the evil. Oh, sto- the mage stone's broke, and so I feel better. And I was like, wait, so you weren't yeah. that much of an utter bastard? I like, mean, come on. to be fair, this is what we know of the Diamond Kingdom, that they do kind of impose personality stones onto their people, like brainwashing weapons, essentially. 
And I like the little touching element. Like, you know, first and foremost, I'm glad the idea that we might get to do more Edwin fucking Lodras out there. But (laughs) I do love his little moment, too, where he's like, oh, so it's guys like you who climbed to the top. And maybe if I'd been like you, we could have helped each other get stronger. Like this moment of almost like remorse from him, but he's actually kind of happy. It's like, yeah, it's kind of touching again because it is kind of putting into these parallels of Asta and this guy. And it's nice to see that instead of just being this tragic outcome... There's the potential that maybe they could even do something cool with this, and maybe Ladros shows up back again in the story. I don't think he's going to be the most wacky, you know, um, recurring evil bastard. Yeah, <laughs> if, I would fucking love it if he joined the Black Bulls. He's like, "What's up, my fellow people? <laughs> Let's do some Black Bullshit, wiggity wiggity whack." I I I do rap lyrics now. <laughs> but, I found these. I found these very inappropriate for the historical period clothing. <laughs> I got my saggy pants, my fubu jacket, and my gold chains. What up? My it's my, way, my way of the highway. Check, 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 check out my melody. Check, check. I'm going to do this for a minute and a half, everybody. You got time to get a sandwich. But it's no. a very bizarre version of this song that I'm performing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Blue eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water. Woo! It's just his spell. <laughs> That's what he shouts out each time. But I, I think I, the I, thing that gets me about this with, oh, my magic stone broke and I'm different now is we've had this happen with Mars and then, of course, with Fauna. It wasn't magic stones, but it was with the eye. Um, so it's like, okay, how many villains are we going to encounter where it's like, and we broke their curse, so they're a good person now. I broke your black gear, so now you can be the good Digimon that you were always meant to be. You know? Yeah, and it is it is a salty or smolshy kind of thing that if you continuously do it, it would get irritating. But, again, I, I, I just feel this is very appropriate for Ast as a character. And I like that this does feel different from other Shonen series, wherein it seems like Ladros is actually going to live and potentially be still in the series. I mean, the only other series that did that is One Piece, and that's not actually because I think Luffy cares about his villains living. It's just One Piece doesn't kill characters. So I I do like this sentiment, and I do feel it helps to give this series a little bit more of a different tone that's appreciated. And there is a hint from Noelle's uh, thinking to herself, because she's like, oh, I guess I was worried for nothing, because Asta is himself, clearly, that could be hinting towards potentially, of course, the demon inside of Asta actually having more of an influence over him in the future. Asta thinks to himself as the black magic fades away from him, you know, and then you just phase back to normal. And he's like, oh, I felt like I managed to use some kind of mysterious power, and I was psyched. I want to master that. I wonder if everybody else feels that way when they use magic. Which is kind of a cool thing, uh, honestly. You know, him getting to experience that for the first time and how much it means to him that he got to do that. Um, the fact that he really appreciates having this power. Um, to potentially master. Um, I like him looking out then and being like, oh shit, everyone's jacked up. <laughs> I like that joke specifically because he asks for, you know, help when he realizes, oh wait, I'm still bleeding from that bullet wound. Somebody heal me. And then he's like, oh wait, everybody's out of commission. <laughs> um, I don't much appreciate the sudden cartoonish... I guess I'll have to carry you all. I'll just have to make as many trips as it takes. Yeah, it's like okay, okay, you're gonna, you're you're literally making your blood spurt more by getting that worked up and flexing, dude. So stupid, Asta. But uh, a flock of crows suddenly appear and murder to... Nick. 
murder of crows. You're right. You're right. A murder of crows suddenly appear and flock together and merge together and and and. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Itachi emerges from the crows like in Naruto. Oh. <laughs> I was like, where is this going? It's the Witch Queen. She's there. Uh, Vanessa, of course, regains consciousness just to see her arrive. And uh, so Asta's like, hey, we, we beat all the uh, the enemies, and uh, I, I've paid you back for fixing my arms. The Witch Queen's like, well, you didn't do a perfect job, but I didn't have to enter the battle. So, yeah, good stuff. And Asta's like, um, since you're here, can you maybe, like, heal everyone? And she's like... No, there's no need for that. And she casts a spell which sends these strands of energy flowing along the ground and then orbs of blood pop up uh, and she reveals her blood creation magic, fresh blood execution ground. In this very hard to make out what the fuck's going on two-page spread because it's the camera's out so far, basically. But it essentially crucifies everyone on these uh, crosses of blood energy. And uh, Asa's like, what are you doing? Because he's the only one who's not crucified. And suddenly he starts to collapse the ground as the veins in his body start to bulge out. And the Witch Queen says, the control of blood is my magic. Since I cast that spell on you, I've been able to manipulate your blood at will. I am the queen. Why would I grant a wish to someone like you? You are the one who will bend to my will. And she starts bloodbending him! That's basically what she does, because she just puppets him and forces him to dry out his cleaver again. And uh, she then puts him inside of a cocoon, his inside of curse-breaking, blood-filled cocoon. And she says, I will heal you and only you. Stay with me, and you can rampage all you like. And Noel and Vanessa are the only ones seemingly who are conscious for this, witnessing it happen, as she takes full control of, of Asta, uh, and she says, I can't hold the anti-magic sword, so I'll simply control the one who can. You showed me how you fight. From now on, you'll spend your life working for me as my blade. This is your first task. Kill everyone here with your own two hands. Well, okay then. That escalated quickly. <laughs> Um, all right. I mean, I guess I shouldn't really be surprised. She was kind of a bitch the whole time. <laughs> so. yeah, I mean, there wasn't really much of a, a chance that she was like, ah, I really just have a good feeling about Oh, yeah, my, my my super friendly blood magic, you know. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I like this twist again a lot, you know, with her showing up and basically, like, everything feels like it had finally been wrapped up and the good things are kind of coming to an end. But, you know, unlike... Kind of the complaint about this arc for the while for me has been like it's just felt like every like the arcs before it essentially this at least does feel different where it's like oh shit they're they're playing into this idea of him at his demonic powers and essentially it, he's being controlled now and it's like well shit basically everyone who's here is fucking like crippled and crucified right now who could show up to like save them I mean yeah. like, I guess there could be the potential like you know or Yami show up and maybe even Lodros. I mean like, he's his magic's like taken away right now but he does have magic. I'll absorb magic the, well. I'll absorb the puppet magic. Woo! Woo! Now I'm a puppet. Woo! I'm going to do the common <laughs> off thing. Ay! Oh, I've been murdered. I'm like, no. You've got no strings to hold me down. <laughs> It's uh, he's a slightly less ver wacky version than the Age of Ultron Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> 
There are no strings on me. <laughs> but uh, hey, I, I I like it. I think this is at least a cool kind of twist to things, and I'm I'm digging it. You know, I thought this was a really good chapter. Uh, I'll see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, let's wrap things up with oh, one no, piece. No, let's not finish up with one piece. Let's let's get nope. to let's get to fairy tale first, so I can knock let's that fairy out tale of afterwards, way. right? Of course. So I don't have to end on this wet fart of an ending. So there's two chapters here: chapter 522, Gray's trump card, and uh, so we don't have to go crazy long tonight. I'm just gonna bridge this chapter very quickly. Gray's gonna use the ice shell thing, but a lost version of it that will not only basically seal up Zeref. Z- uh, but will at the same time also erase himself magically from the minds and hearts and memories of all of his comrades. So, and that's just like, no! <laughs> well, that, that doesn't happen, Nick, until Fairy Tale Chapter 524, or whatever, 523, You Will Burn Destiny, where he's doing this, and then Natsu shows up and fucking, like, clocks him in the back of the head, and he's like, no, don't do it! Like, you know, it's not your life to give, you know? You can't do this. I stopped you from doing this once before already, so come on, stupid, don't do that. And Gray's like, But this no. time I'll erase my, I'll erase my, uh, your memories of me so you won't even be sad. It's like, no! You're not allowed to do it. No, but I, I stopped you from doing this once before already, too. Why are you doing this again? He's like, I just really want to die! I'll freeze him, and then you'll be allowed to live because we won't have to kill Zareph, and you won't have to die. He's like, no, I solved that problem already. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, but Natsu's crying because he's like, no, you can't do it because you're my friend, aren't you? And uh, fucking Lucy shows up too. And, you know, he's basically saying like, I ain't going to die no matter what. Destiny, I'll take your destiny and burn it up. And, uh, you know, everyone's like, live and Hanging on the edge of tomorrow. But yeah, uh, everyone's like, I guess we'll just have to trust you, Natsu. And, and Lucy's uh, like, I'm wearing clothes for the first time in forever. This is a strange scenario. <laughs> and uh, Zareph, like, throws off his cloak, which I don't know why. It Check just, out my badass band leader. Yeah. Check out my band leader uniform underneath it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It still feels like a cool move. I think it's just, like, the fighting game, like, kidded me, who, like, that was always, like, a cool thing fighting characters did when they were about to start a match. Like, I'll get rid of this cloak, and now I'll kick your ass. Uh, but he says, like, I, uh, I, because I'm one, the, a person who has come to accept my cursed uh, destiny. You know why I did that? It's because I had no other choice. It's what destiny means. So, Nick, fairy tale from the very beginning is apparently all about free world versus fate. Destiny, um, baby. Yeah. Not a destiny. Uh, also, Agnologia shows up. Yeah, I was trying to figure like, out. I don't how really to... care about fate or not. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out how to describe what has happened there. I was like, I guess Wendy's just like, I healed you, and they lament that they couldn't save Makarov because he's dead and never coming back, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should just bring that and make that the joke because it's just like the more they talk about him, and the more the less I believe it. I, I and I already didn't believe it very much. So, <laughs> and yeah, as you said. Uh, fucking Actologia, it, I guess he crashes into the ground, but the way it first looks like with, like... I'm here now! Well, it looks like he comes out of the ground, like he explodes out of the ground, like, I was sleeping under the ground! <laughs> Which, well, I mean, the thing that I didn't really think, think of when they uh, declared, oh, Irene is dead, so therefore all of her magic has you know, been reversed, was, oh yeah, she primarily did that to send Actologia far away, so he's back now. And he is, and he's like, I'm sick of it! I'm sick of the whole world, Black Lizard! 
And uh, it cuts over to August, who's just like, the time is up. And that's the My end. time is now. <laughs> do, 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 do. Can't see me, Gildas. Do, 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 do. This is my magic. Do, 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 in, ca- do. <laughs> in case you forgot or fell off, I'm still hot. Knock your- Hang on, let me check the lyrics. <laughs> oh, shit, I only remember the old school I brush version. your mouth. I, c- I clean your mouth with coca. Who writes this? <laughs> Lay your ass down for the three-second tan. <laughs> New Dead Man Inc., and I'm about to make you famous. Taking over Earth while still kicking in Uranus. Word life. Wicker, 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 wicker. <laughs> it's basic. Basic, basic. Thugonomics. <laughs> Word life. <laughs> And now I'm wearing the opposing team's jersey, bitches. <laughs> I'm untouchable, but I'm forcing you to feel me. <laughs> Check it out. I've got this chain with a lock that's hollow and has no backsides. Because <laughs> I couldn't afford the rest. <laughs> God is like, oh, this is so lame. <laughs> Anyway, that should become a new segment of the show: dramatic readings of John Cena's <laughs> fucking raps. Just, just dramatic readings of WWE themes in general, because some of them are horrible. <laughs> well, you can't forget the number of uh, opportunities you would have with John Cena's collective album, Nick. Because oh there's, my there, God. there's a lot of potential in there. Uh, I'll take you just this brief expert from his Boston Pro Boston sports song, Beantown, where he's like, I rent my own team. We're taking over the industry like the big dick, baby. Nobody can finish me. It's quite the song. I actually have it on my iPod. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So anyhow, let's move on to what, by the way, Fairytale was stupid, but it always is. <laughs> One Piece. <laughs> Chapter 856, Liar. Uh, so things are really coming together for the Straw Hats. Uh, not only are they, you know, ever, is everyone meeting back up again, but uh, it seems as though as we progress through this, we are actually getting an idea of where this whole arc is actually headed. Uh, and it seems to actually finally establish whether or not the Straw Hats are going to stick around at the end of this whole chapter. So um, we start off in the Mirror World. Uh, and, um, the mirrors have no information on where Luffy or Sanji is, so Nami and the rest are basically at a complete dead end. I like how Carrot still has her super shoujo art poster to show the mirrors. Um, uh, they, they even follow up on the guard who fell asleep in Sanji's room, because Carrot's like, not even Sanji's room? No, nah, there's some weirdo sleeping in there. <laughs> uh, but Nami, of course, remembers what Luffy wanted to do. Uh, she says, yeah, they might be at the place where Luffy and Sanji fought. And Chopper immediately, of course, has a freak out about that they had a fight! <laughs> Poor Chopper. Um, Jimbei, uh, announces to everyone that, uh, ah, oh, the, you know, the ceremony that's, uh, that's happening tomorrow, it will be anything but ordinary. So apparently he also knows about the conspiratorial plot, which he learned about from Peckhams, who, he establishes an almost a throwaway line that uh, he managed to rescue him when he was thrown out off the cliff by uh, by beige, which I mean this was a we, while ago. This was a while ago, and I mean we we kind of knew that Peckham's would be okay, 
because everyone's okay in one piece, but it's really just kind of an afterthought the way it's addressed. Uh, just like, oh yeah, I saved him and he told me about the whole plot. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... it, this arc has really felt kind of weirdly paced all of a sudden. Uh, I feel like this chapter could have been like two or three, honestly. Um, cause we're moving through things very quickly, I guess, to kind of get to the climax. I think Oda's on a little bit of a time crunch since he's already promised the Wano arc would start this year and he's been taking breaks pretty frequently, mm-hmm. so. He might be kind of cramming some stuff together. There is, uh, also a, a brief scene just across, across the course of one, of one page where, uh, the guy who was going after Sanji, um, we hear some people, some people talking about themselves like, oh, gunshots. Was that gunshots? Oh, no. Eh. And then we see that, uh, yeah, the guy who was going after Sanji has in fact been shot and he collapses in the middle of the street after dragging himself along for a little while. So what happened? What the fuck happened there? Hmm. For a moment, I thought maybe it was the, uh, uh, Judge the Vin Smoke family. But they're all, they have no idea what's going on. So they're on the next page. You see that they're in the guest room and they're just all drinking. And all the people, all the girls who were, who were sent to keep them company have collapsed because (laughs) they can't keep up with the, the Vin Smokes who drink these giant barrels of beer. Yeah, I'm curious though, cause he says curse them. Mm-hmm. So, it would imply a group of some people. And I don't, I'm trying to think who would yeah. have a reason to stop this guy. Yeah, he's part of the, of the, of, well he's not part of Big Mom's crew, but he's part of, uh, her organization. So. Yeah, so I, I, I'm almost wondering, I mean maybe it could be Peckham's, but I don't know why it's yeah. them if it was Peckham's. And I can't think of any, like, there might be, a, I guess, a third group that's on the island maybe we don't know about. Uh, Judge and uh, his sons talk a bit to us, like, oh, yeah, they, oh, things are going great now. You know, so we, we've got the, a real party to go through tomorrow night, and you know, Big Mom is going to make Jerbo once again rule the North Blue. And uh, this will be our first celebration of the fact. I suppose that failure did turn out to have its uses after all. It was like, yeah, Sanji was our bait, and we caught a real whopper with them. It's like, oh, that asshole is is great. To our usefully useless brother. Oh, <laughs> uh, what about the dicks? Um, I like they even talk about how t- they want to trade to get Nami as like essentially like uh, a fucking like tag along member of their group. They're like, we could just trade for Nami later. Ugh. Uh. Gross. Um, we also see the guards outside of, of that guest room, and they're again kind of reestablishing. Yeah, things are going what going are going well for our plan, uh, and uh, they're communicating with each other. Says like, yeah, all that's left now until the Vince Smokes meet their fate is to count down the minutes. This is actually something that's kind of creepy that I hadn't thought about before. Um. Is that because you keep seeing it amongst like the house, like and it's in that one scene. You see the barrel and the heart on the wall, and the Vin Smoke's room is uh, they're smiling like six they're, they're alive, and you're like, yeah. it is creepy. They're keeping, can, an, they're keeping an eye on things. You can yeah. never actually be alone. Like that's what's kind of relieved me of any idea that maybe the Vin Smokes have an idea of what's going to happen, and they're playing a counter to it. It's like no, they don't, because if they did, Big Mom would know about it now at this point, because everything in her house is a spy for them. I guess it's possible that they could communicate in code somehow with each other because they know they're being spied upon. It seems unlikely at this point, however. Yeah. Um, and also, it uh, leads 
even though uh, we haven't seen anything, it is possible that one of them is even keeping an eye on Sanji. It's possible. Yes. Uh, I don't think that that's where the Zed uh, either, though. And uh, so then we get the big, the the main thing that happens in this chapter, which is Sanji has, of course, found Luffy outside of town at the meeting point that Luffy said that he would be at. Uh, immediately as Sanji approaches, Luffy smells the food in the basket that he's carrying, and he wakes up looking like a freaking old man because he's so shriveled up from not eating. And uh, Sanji is, you know, plays it up, you know, kind of... Uh, like, oh, whatever. Uh, he, or he tries to. He's like, I didn't tell you to wait here for me. All right, fine. If you can eat this, then eat. And he just drops the, the basket in front of Luffy. He's like, Foog. <laughs> I, I don't know if that, whatever. Um, and he's talking about, like, oh, yeah, it's been crushed. I dropped it on the way. It's been rained on, so I'm sure it's terrible. And of course, he starts chow- chowing down to me. He's like, oh, it's good. It's, it's wonderful. It's the best. No, no. Oh, and you even put all of our favorites in one box. It's so tasty. Mm-hmm. And Sanji's like, you liar. And uh, Luffy is restored his strength, restores his strength by eating the entire basket in one sitting. And Sanji's like, all right, then get it, leave, get it out of here. Luffy says, no, come, you come with me. And Sanji says, all right, first of all, the captain of my own ship came all this way to track me down, only for me to insult and hurt him to the best of my ability, despite no resistance from him whatsoever, which means I can't go back to your ship. Second, that old fart who saved my life in the home where I was raised, the seafaring restaurant Barati, is being held hostage in case I don't play along, which means I can't escape from this wedding. Third, the evil family, to which I'm related, is walking in the Big Mom's trap, and they'll all be slaughtered in a matter of hours. They're scum of the earth to whom I hold nothing but hatred, but I can't bring myself to abandon them to their fate and run away. I can't return with the rest of you. So, just leave. Just get out of here. And Luffy punches him in the face. <laughs> because of course he does. It's like, oh, I, I guess, mean... I guess Luffy will do this if you're not a chick, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you think back to, like, putting the hat on fucking Nami or, like, screaming at Robin, like, say you want to live in this situation. He's like, bam! Alright, tell you what you really mean now. <laughs> Uh, this is, however, of course, you know, the big, like, uh, you know, Robin, I want to live kind of moment for Sanji. Um, cause Luffy just shouts down after he's like, all right, by the way, now that I've kicked you in the, f- I paid you back for kicking me in the face and making me lose a tooth. <laughs> Here's your receipt. Tell me how you really feel. And Sanji just stares at Luffy for a bit and, of course, you know, remembers all the memories that they've made together all, all the time that they've shared. And he, well, and, but he also thinks about Big Mom and, and Judge. And he finally just breaks down crying. He says, I want to go back to the Sunny, but I just don't have the guests to run away. Once the ceremony starts, I can't stop any by my own. I still want to save those scumbags whom I don't even think of as family. And he's like, okay, because that's who you are. And... And movie just says, "All right, you've got us. Let's crash this wedding." And uh, yeah, One Piece is going on a week long break, but it seems as though when we get back, there actually is going to be some sort of maybe not necessarily confrontation with uh, Big Mom's crew, but an effort to go against her and to potentially save the Vin Smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, of course, is only going to draw. Greater ire from Big Mom against the Straw Hats, but uh, stuff that I'm looking forward to. We even we even considered the fact that maybe hey they just like fucking run away, um, 
Not so. Uh, it's good. It's it's a very good chapter. I was a little. I, it's tough. It's basically just my expectations for One Piece are so high right now based on its quality of the past. I was hoping for a little bit more out of this moment with Sanji, a little bit longer to kind of dwell on him, thinking about all the times he's had in the crew. Because as you said, this is this is that I want to live moment or Luffy, please help me moment from uh, Nami. This is such that moment where Sanji has to let go of everything and basically just say, please help me. And, you know, it all kind of comes down to the fact that he loves this crew so much he wants to return to them. That's what he treasures more than anything else. So having that kind of juxtaposed with all these 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 fears he has and everything like that, but his memories with the crew should be the overwhelming part. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of time actually spent on the the the, the part about him remembering what's happy in his life. It's kind of like a quick shot of two things, and then it's like, all right, now I want to go back to Sunday. He's like, ah, I would have liked a little bit more time to dwell on this and him thinking back to every everything else he'd be missing out on if he didn't admit this to Luffy. Uh, uh, I think that we I think we more got that when he was when he made up his mind by himself to go and find Luffy and to, to give him the food. Um, yeah, but there's still a missing part here, because even though he had made the decision to do that, he hadn't made the decision to go back to the crew. It was just him saying, I'm going to save Luffy, and then obviously he had the intention to just go back and solve things on his own. He didn't. He wasn't going to go back. So it, this was supposed to be the moment where he realizes what's most important to him overall and makes the decision to go with it. And I would have liked a little bit more time spent on it to kind of build the emotion, because it happens just a little bit too quickly for me. I understand your point. But honestly, I think that this was more about a process for Sanji than it was just a big moment of revelation. Like, you compare it to Robin and Nami's things, but those, I think, were more sudden, whereas... Yeah, you know, none of them, neither of them, like took the the this big initiative where they kind of met halfway, and then Luffy brought them the rest of the way. Sanji did things differently in this case, so I do get your point, um, but I think that they, I think there's, it it can't be a direct comparison. Yeah, and I, I what I'm saying mostly is that. This is great for, like, a great scene for manga in general. As a One Piece scene, though, I'm a little disappointed by it, if only because I've seen Oda do these moments in a more emotionally satisfying way. Gotcha. But that's going to do it for One Piece and for the recap in general. So uh, we're going to wrap things up here by determining our favorites for the week. Want to start us off? All right. Well, uh, I think I'm going to start us off. This is a hot take, Nick. Hot take. Hot take. Everyone, Hot in, the take. Chat, everyone in the chat's gonna be like, "What?" No, uh, I'm gonna give my favorite, my favorite chapter of the week. I'm giving to Black Clover. I really like this chapter of Black Clover. I thought this was a strong chapter all the way through. It did things that I really appreciate. I think I'm starting to move into the state where I, I understand the big appeal to it of Aston. I can see when he's definitely the most frustrating fucking character on the planet, but at the same time, also <laughs> able to see that when you break it down to the base level of things why he could be so entertaining and fun to, like, be motivated by. So I, I feel like this was a really strong chapter all the way around and uh, one that I think I got the most out of. Uh, this was a little bit of a tough decision for me because I wanted to address two different things. Um, and I felt as though, like, if I were going to give one the MVP, I would have to give the, the other the series of the week. So I was like, which, how am I going to do this? So because of that, I have given My Hero Academia my, my favorite chapter of the week. Um, I really, 
mostly because I just really like the the comedy in the first half of it. Um, I thought that it was really silly, and honestly, like the moment where he stamps the desk instead of the sheet, and then keeps on stamping it while lecturing Deku. That alone is 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 one of my favorite uh, parts of the, this week in manga. I could absolutely understand that. Um, um, so if I hadn't chosen My Hero Academia as my as my series week, I would have chosen Sir Night Eye. So as my weekly MVP, but I wanted to do recognize something else with that. So go ahead. Uh, my MVP is going to be Emma from uh, The Promised Neverland. Uh, the Promised Neverland was the other chapter I really considered for chapter of the week, and it is exceptionally great. But uh, kind of like you, I'm trying to recognize two different really good chapters of this. And Emma in this, I, I just absolutely love her. And I don't think it's innocence. It's not innocence from her. It's just uh, like... Shown in determination. It is. It's just that, that ability to take such a, a, a heavy dramatic and seemingly slowly deteriorating and breaking down conversation between Norman and Ray and to just perfectly lift it back up into something hilarious and perfect which is just like you could break your leg let's break your leg or you get sick go eat that garbage like it's just like that's that's great like it's so perfect for her it's it's like a fun thing to get into it it lists the levity and it's it's perfectly who she is you know that that attitude where she's like, no matter what, we're all going to leave together. Cause that's what it all kind of boils down to. You know, it's a, it's a funny joke, but it does boil down to this thing where she's like, look, you guys have your power. You like what you're devoted to with everything here. Norman, you're like, I won't let any of you guys fail. Ray's like, I've spent all these years doing this. I'm not going to let any of you guys like basically lose. And she's like, yeah. And my, my focus is that we're all going to leave here together. And I, I, mm-hmm. I love that kind of uh, thing from her in this chapter. I've also gone with Emma. Um, the chat has gone with Promise Neverland, and I agree it's definitely one of the best chapters of this week. Um, and honestly, it's a strong chapter from all three of, of the kids, but Emma especially really stands out. Um, I think that we were noting, like, we were kind of waiting for the moments for Emma to really step up um, because she was good, but it was like, okay, when is she going to really have her big moment? And this is a big one, I think, for her. Uh, this is definitely the one where you can see because, you know, Ray is the planner and Norman is the, is the in between, uh, between the idealism and, and the planning. And both of them have gotten their chances to shine. Uh, Norman's gotten, getting, getting this focus as being the one who's being thrown out. Ray has had the whole thing with being the double agent. And Emma had been kind of left in, on the wayside as just being like kind of the one who just sort of carries out the, the schemes of the other two. This is her first really, really big uh, contribution to their escape scheme. And um, it feels really important. And uh, she feels like the main character uh, for the first time, I think, in a, in a while. And uh, that sentiment that she, that she shares with uh, Norman, where she's like, you know, you promised that we'd all escape together and I can't, you know, I can't allow it if, you know, you're not part of that all, uh, that part of everyone is going to escape. It's not everyone if you're not there with us. Um, just really great and uh, really, really made the chapter good. Uh-huh. So I wanted to recognize both My Hero Academia and uh, Promise Neverland. So it would have been Sir Nidai or Emma, and it would have been My Hero Academia or Promise Neverland. So there you go. Uh, all right, so we are going to wrap things up here. So, guys, thank you very much for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. 
Normally, we record the show Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Obviously, sometimes, like today, we have to change things up. And you can stay updated on that kind of stuff by following us on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at WMR Podcast. You can follow your hosts at Reality and at Pi Roller of Time. And uh, we will provide updates and stuff and let you know when we're going to be streaming on hitbox.tv slash Reality and twitch.tv slash Reality. You can also check out all of our past episodes by going to weeklymagrecap.popping.com as well as youtube.com slash, I think that we have, do we actually, is the channel, do you, can you yeah, just like you, go to, if you go to weekly, or youtube.com slash weekly manga recap, it goes to us. It'll actually, it'll actually redirect this time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, you can also check us out on iTunes. And, uh, if you, uh, check us out on those places, you can also subscribe to us and, uh, leave a comment and rating. If you do that on iTunes, it helps us to beat our eternal rivals of the wood, the, the woodworking podcast mafia or whatever so uh do that i don't think they're organized but you couldn't tell from the the way they just systematically destroy us each and every week so i like to hope that they're all united so it helps my ego a little bit more we need to take them down one by one like uh like the akatsuki or something yeah oh we have like a hidan and fucking uh what's his name arc kazuki or whatever and, like, we bury one of the podcasts in the ground, and we're like, a bunch of fucking other manga podcasters will be here to make sure you never leave this pit from now on. Also, they're dear for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> suck it. Uh, by the by, guys, uh, if you are interested, uh, just a reminder, we're going to be doing the 2017 Superlative Awards, so at any point during the year, if something happens in the week that you feel is worthy of being nominated, shoot us a message over at the Weekly Manga Recap Twitter, and I'll uh, add it to our list. I've been slowly adding things in there, and, you know, anything like best villain, best hero, best two-page spread, best quote, best new power, best fight, anything like that, best chapter even, send it over. There were a bunch of good things that happened this week, so I would not be surprised if we get a number of suggestions from this. Uh-huh. Also, be sure to send us criticism, questions, and suggestions for each manga for us to read. We are, of course, currently working our way through Seven Deadly Sins, and uh, probably for the, for a while we're going to be every, every few suggestions for uh, every few uh, re- recommendations. Hang on. Every few recommendations, uh, or probably a bunch of recommendations, uh, currently are going to be stuff that we're actually going to be adding to the recap. But just because we're doing that, don't feel like, oh, I shouldn't send in my recommendation now, because we will see it eventually, and we will always, con- we always consider everything that gets sent in to us. Uh, you can send that stuff to weekly micro recap at yahoo.com. That is the best place to send basically everything, uh, except for the stuff that it gets sent to our Twitter. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus t- content for you guys to enjoy. Uh, I'm not sure when we're going to next be able to work on stuff. <laughs> it's too goddamn busy <laughs> lately. It is but, a very uh, busy time for us, stuff. but yeah, we'll, we'll have everything out as quickly as we can. So the Q&A is out, and you can check that out on iTunes and on Podbean if you want to listen to it. Um, and then we're going to be trying to get commentary and our bonus podcast out as soon as possible. We are putting some work down on the other things that have been prom- As I said, we're adding new series to the recap with Seven Deadly Sins and technically Asta or Astra. And, uh, we are going to be working on new, uh, Trollo T trivia episodes too. So all that stuff is in the works right now. It's just a busy time as both of us are kind of mm-hmm. picking up other things as well. 
Thanks, of course, go out to Steve Manart, Tyler Cardars. You can check out his work in a bunch of different places. He has the weekly manga recap title cards that he has done for us, or at the very least, the ones that aren't made being very slutty, uh, available for free on his Patreon. You don't even need to be a supporter of his, but it would be nice if you were. Uh, you can see all sorts of um, not-so-safe-for-work stuff that he does if you end up doing that. And thanks as well go out to Infamous Planet. He is uh, currently working on another frame for us, according to uh, something he put up on Twitter. So. Yeah, so uh, if you want to check that out, he's, he's outsourcing for help on it, looking for the most um, mm-hmm. significant scenes from the series we recap. So um, go shoot him a message and let him know some of the scenes you'd like to see in that. He is at Infamous Planet on Twitter if you want to do that. Sorry, the... Infamous Planet, but just at Infamous Planet. We gotta give him the the in there. It's it's the it's the at Infamous Planet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's it. That is going to do it. Uh, I figure the only way to kind of to close this episode out would be appropriately with song, Nick. So uh, if you'll excuse me here, I'm gonna have a special friend come in. We got August here to finish up the episode. <laughs> Yo, yo. I'm a nice man. <laughs> Whether fighting or spitting, my discipline is unforgiven. Got you backing up in a defensive position. An ass-kicking anthem, heavyweight or bantham, holding camps for ransom, semicolon, the microphone phantom. This <laughs> rap is so weird. The best way I can describe it is I used to listen to it when I was a kid in high school. Yes. And there was a kid in school who heard me listening to it. It was like the last day of class that year. And he was like, man, I don't have anything to listen to. I was like, you want to listen to my John Cena album? And he was a black kid just to like establish us. Oh, he no. should have a lot more credit for this. And he's like, you know what? I could do with a laugh. Sure. And he listened to it. And like this way, the way it's described it was perfect where it's like he put it down. I was like, so actually like, he's like, I didn't hate it. That was his thing. He's like, it wasn't as god. It was better than I thought it'd be. It's still not good, but it's better than I thought it would be. I guess for 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 a rap uh, done by a guy from one of the whitest neighborhoods in in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that my favorite song from that album is "Bad Man." (laughs) You don't fuck with John Cena, you're a bad 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 man. man. Featuring Bumpy Knuckles. (laughs) Ever. Loved Bumpy Knuckles. <laughs> All right, guys, that's good to it. Bye. With the mic in my hands, I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. <laughs> <laughs>